Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is, I don't even know what day it is today. It is Monday. I should know that it's Monday. I did know it was Monday. I didn't know the date. I had to look. It's the 24th of April. You would think since I say the date every day, I might know what it is, but it's a free for all. We are here live. We have no guests today. So you are the guests. What's on your mind today? Jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Phone lines are open. Jump in and join us. I've got some things I want to talk about today, and I just found another one. Um, Kind of trying to get my head around this. So what order do I want to do this in here? Uh. Let's talk about a couple things going on in the broker world right now. So, you know, when the freight rates were fantastic and freight was everywhere, I talked about it. You start seeing posts and hear drivers and owner operators talking about how they hung up on the broker and laughed at them for the rate and on and on and on. And now it's the exact opposite. The brokers, by the way, do not do well in um, economies like this either. So when freight rates drop, obviously the brokers are impacted when there's not as much freight. We're going to see the same bloodbath in small brokers that we're seeing in trucking companies. It may be worse, honestly. I, I've watched the the broker side of things just explode the last couple of years Yeah, now there's an awful lot of competition out there. But we're also pushing again for this broker transparency where the broker will be forced to show the rate of the load, which they already are. There's already a law that exists. I, I don't understand why when a law doesn't fix a problem because business finds a way around it, why we think writing another law is going to matter. It really won't. This whole idea that we have to know what the broker gets. First off, if we ever were to implement a system where you absolutely saw the rate every time, everybody knows what it is, rates will not go up because of that. What will change? You have an option now of not accepting the load because you don't like the rate. Use it. What's going to change if you know the rate? Do you think the rate's going to get better? It's not because competition will make sure that it doesn't get better. That's how supply and demand works. So we're fighting over this issue that's not going to matter to anybody. But there's another issue here that goes along with this. We're also still trying to figure out whether brokers are liable for an accident on the highway. There have been some pretty big cases. C.H. Robinson got hit with a big case. They had to, they were hit with huge fines and penalties. If I remember right, that was in the millions because of a brokered load. I don't understand how we make a broker liable for an accident that happens out on the highway. I really don't. But we did. And because of that, if that becomes the norm, 
We're, we're still fighting it. There have been cases that have gone both ways, and it's not clear yet how this is going to shake out. If the broker is going to be liable, potentially liable, their rate's going to have to go up. They, these brokerages will not be able to handle these big verdicts based on the amount of money they make right now. The, the part of the freight that they take, the, the profit, will have to go up if they are liable for these types of, of accidents. And I'm not sure how you make the broker liable. We always hear about this statistic, and I, I never get it exactly right because it's so bizarre. I can never remember it. I should probably write it down somewhere and leave it on my desk because I use it a lot. This idea that 90% of the freight in the country or whatever the number is, I know I don't have it exactly right, but you'll understand the concept. The vast majority of the freight in this country is moved by companies with less than 10 trucks. Now, all of my numbers are probably a little off, but you understand the concept. The freight in this country is not moved by big carriers. They do a small percentage of the overall freight. The freight is moved primarily by very, very small carriers, tens of thousands of them. And new carriers come into the business constantly. How could a a broker possibly be able to figure out whether or not a company is safe? And what is the criteria that we then say, well, you blew it, now you're liable. Like, what do they have to do to clear a trucking company so that they're not liable for the accident? This is just part of what we keep doing in our society, and it sucks, and it's part of what's destroying our society. We hold people responsible for things that they don't have any control over. That's just wrong. The broker should not be liable for the safety of the truck on the road. Why isn't law enforcement responsible for this? When we have an accident that occurs and we find out the the driver and the truck have been um, illegal forever, and we know the company breaks all kinds of rules. Why isn't law enforcement responsible? Because they didn't catch these people. That's no more outrageous than thinking the broker should be liable for a truck driver getting into an accident on the highway. We have to stop this. This is the kind of bullshit that's just destroying our society. Hold the people responsible, responsible. Not everybody else, and that's what generates all these lawsuits. But as long as we are going to have this threat out there that the broker is potentially liable, they're going to have to start taking more of that profit. And that's already the problem. Drivers think they're taking too much of the profit. Uh, What else do we have here? Um, Oh, Two, two patterns I've been noticing in my headlines. So I started reading some of the articles. So since the pandemic 2020, for some reason, the highways have gotten a lot less safe. It was kind of bizarre. The number of miles traveled went down, but the accidents and the deaths went up. The other thing that's bizarre about this is if you look at the aftermath of accidents these days, 
the cars are almost always totaled and the people walk away. We have made incredible improvements in vehicle safety. The, the vehicle takes all the damage and is destroyed in these accidents. That's the crumple zones. Those are, they're designed to do that. The, the outer shell of the vehicle is designed as crumple zones to a, a, absorb the energy. And that protects the occupant in the vehicle. And we see these horrendous accidents where the, all the vehicles are just destroyed and everybody's standing around, nobody's hurt. You see a lot of that now. We have made big, big improvements in that. So if that's the case, if vehicles keep getting so much safer and we're able to survive these accidents so much better, why are the numbers going the wrong way? Why are accidents going up, death going up? Um, 2020 started it. So now when we look at statistics right now, they might be slightly better than last year. So it looks like an improvement, except they're way worse than they were pre-pandemic. And it just doesn't make sense. I'm not even sure what the explanation is, honestly. Uh, Unless it's just all of the distractions in the vehicles. I'm still a big believer that is a real problem in our vehicles. But if I see this pattern... And then the other headline I see is we're back to arguing about split speed limits um, between trucks and cars. I I don't have a real opinion on split speed limits. I I don't think it's as big of a deal as some groups want to make it out to be. When you think about it in today's world, every time we're on much more than about a 2% incline, you're going to see split speed limits anyway because trucks can't go that fast. Trucks are still going to go up hills at 30 miles an hour. You have a problem, and that's a driver awareness, driver skill issue. Drivers should not be running into slow-moving vehicles. My point about this is that every time I see this split speed limit issue, you've got a state where the speed limit's 80 for cars out west and 65 for trucks. Every time I see a bill, they want to make the speed limit faster for everybody. Wait a minute. If we're really concerned about safety, it's never safer to go faster, ever. It's physics. Every time you increase speed, you increase risk of an accident and the severity of the accident will get worse. Both happen across the board. It's never safer to go faster ever. So why why isn't there at least some push if we're going to fix these split, split speed limits to slow down the cars? Maybe 80 is just a little too fast. But that's not the case. I'm looking at seven bills around the country dealing with split speed limits, and six of the seven will increase speed for trucks. Trucks are not safe at 80 miles an hour. I'm sorry. And when the accidents do happen, they are horrendous. This may be also why we see the giant pileup accidents with multiple vehicles. The vehicles seem to be getting safer and safer. And yet we seem to be killing more people because people are getting less and less safe all the time. All right, what uh, we've got some calls coming in. I have one more topic I want to cover real quick here. Um, I didn't. This was the one I found towards the uh, 
when I was just getting ready to go on the show. So I didn't have time to go through this article really well, but I'm really interested in it. Maybe I'll talk about it some more later this week. Uh, this would be a good article to talk about on Friday, maybe. Um, the idea of hydrogen electric trucks using hydrogen to charge. We're not talking about an internal combustion engine running on hydrogen. We're talking about using hydrogen with batteries. Um, so instead of what we call a BEV battery electric vehicle, where it's just pure battery, no hybrid, no hydrogen, which I think is the future. I, I'm not sure the hybrids make a lot of sense in the long term. They They might be a a decent intermediary powered axles make sense, but I don't, I don't see the hybrid really lasting for a long time. I've said, I don't see hydrogen making it either. And the problem with making hydrogen an intermediate step is there's a huge infrastructure that has to get built out. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Jim Park um, wrote a really good article about this. Um, and he kind of agrees with me. Uh, when you look at the numbers, it doesn't look like hydrogen is going to make any sense in trucks whatsoever. Now, I'm not sure about cars, but there are major issues with hydrogen. This is kind of the information I've been looking for. I just didn't have time to go through it, and I don't want to try kind of reading through it while I'm on the air here. So, um, I'll set this aside and we'll talk about it later in the week. But based on some of the numbers I saw as I scrolled through here, like I said, I want to get my head around it better. This is a horrible idea. Some of the statistics on the hydrogen are just awful. It's not efficient. It's expensive. It's complicated. And, and here's a big one that nobody seems to be talking about in any of these vehicles. True battery electric, battery hybrid electric, uh, powered axles like Hylion's working on, um, these alternative fuels, hydrogen. We don't know operating costs. That's a big, big deal. We need some numbers, and that's the problem. We just don't have any. I have a feeling all of these technologies are just way too expensive. All right, let's... Uh, I think that might have been it. I had a couple other things. Maybe I'll get back to them. Calls are starting to come in. So jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. It's a free for all. I'll stay here as long as you've got calls and questions. Let's get started in. I don't know where we're going today. Brandy, welcome to the program. Kevin, do you know who Michelle Bachman is? Yes. Good. Okay. So I listened to, she's on a show that I listen pretty frequently, and she wanted to alert the public, at least on that show, that at the end of May, that the, the World Health Organization is, they're going to try to give our authority to the World Health Organization. They will be able to determine vaccinations the pandemic and shutdowns and stuff like that. And listening to your show on Friday with the guests, you gave out, well, it was suggested that you gave uh, talk to senators and representatives to stop, you know, or to be a part of that. But this might be the same kind of deal. I don't know what the bill number is, but I thought 
this might be important to you that we might be able to sound the alarm. You know, this is one of those topics that I'm kind of ignorant about. I've seen these statements made by people. I've seen headlines that claim this most of the time right now. And I'm not saying that it makes it wrong at all. Most of the time, this is still only being reported around the fringes. Um, So I haven't really followed through on how likely this is to happen. Is is this even possible? I can tell you this, that based on everything that's happened in the world recently, if they were to pull something like this off, that may be the trigger that finally sets people off. The the people in the United States will not take well to being told you're going to get a vaccine by some World Health Organization. We didn't take it well when our own government tried to do it to us. That would be the final straw, I think. Right. I don't know. You know, you have to wonder a lot of the senators and representatives, do they even... Do they know everything that's happening well, around them? I don't think they here, do. Here's the other times you listen to. Here's the other thing shows, that's going to happen. They seem really surprised. Here's the, well, here's the thing. If this truly is a possibility, before it ever happens, it will become headline news. This isn't going to quietly get passed in the background. That That's just not going to happen. I can promise you that. Yeah. That's why sometimes I don't pay attention to things until they gain some legs. There are so many things like okay. this out there. If I chase them all down, I never get anything else done. So at some point, I, sometimes I just wait. If this is really a big deal, it will become a big deal. So let's think about this. Well, you know, Michelle Bachman, she was. Go ahead. Well, she was, you know, running for president. She's very involved into the politics and behind things. I don't know. She's a no, professor I, I, somewhere. I, I get that. But but what I'm saying is she would not be the only one. If this is really going to happen yeah. before it happens, it will become an issue. And it's not an issue right now. As most people don't understand it. I don't understand it. Here's the other thing. Never in our history ever that I'm aware of have United States citizens been under some sort of law of a body outside of the United States. Is there any other example of that? I'm not aware of any. There could be. I'm just not aware of it. But I don't know right. of any. Nothing right that about matters. Life, right? If something mattered, we would know about it. Yeah. So here's the other thing. Right. If this happens, if all of a sudden the WHO says, the World Health Organization says, we're now in charge of your healthcare system, and Americans say, F you, no, you're not. What if we, people would just refuse? It's no different than the goofy gun laws they tried to pass here in Oregon, and sheriffs said, we won't enforce it. Yeah. The, the, the federal yeah, government can get in bed with the who and, and local governments and and enforcement agencies will just say, we're not enforcing this. So I, I don't I, it, I know it's out there. I've seen the headlines. I, I just like I said, I doubt that I'll go look at it until I start seeing something that says this is really possible. I, I just don't think it is. OK. It's supposed to happen at the end of May, so we've got a whole month. Um, 
to start hearing about it. Well, see, I think I just it, it, bring it, to your it, attention. it seemed to me like about a year ago there was some sort of a deadline and they were going to do this. But then it just fizzled and it disappeared. Yeah. That's what I mean. I, I don't know that this is a real issue. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's thanks for the call. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on it. Like I said, I, I just saw a headline on it yesterday and I skimmed it and it um I, I still don't really get it. Um we'll see. Let's go to Utah. Nathan, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. I got a theory about all the crashes. What's that? Um that chances are just a theory is all the crashes are happening more and more because people are dying from the mRNA. That's a possibility. Yeah. No, you're right. The whole died suddenly thing has not gone away. Um, They're still counting in the background and the numbers are insane. Um, You still see headlines constantly Mm -hmm. of young, healthy people dying, young, healthy people having strokes. And when the headlines happen, we only see it if somebody's famous. That's the thing people have to realize. We're not seeing when your next door neighbor gets a stroke and they're 32 years old and healthy. We're not seeing when your cousin who's 40 dies suddenly with no, we don't even see those stories. But if we're seeing celebrities and athletes and politicians and news people, that tells us something. There aren't many of those people compared to the general population. So if they keep dropping over dead and we it gets reported, how much of this really is going on? I think a lot. I think uh, so, too. I've seen videos where it says that the mRNA is going to kill people within two years, and we're about two years in. And if they show the populace dying... That's going to really throw red flags for big pharma. Well, there are already countries, several countries I just read this morning. And again, I saw the headline. I didn't dive too deep into it. Um, a lot of countries are banning the, the shots or, or at least starting to limit them or not recommend them. But some countries are outright banning them. Germany just did something this morning um, on the shots or a couple other countries that have just stopped them completely. And yet you you almost never hear about this. Shouldn't that be headline news? I think it should. Yeah. Yeah. If some country has decided they're not going to give this shot anymore, shouldn't we be hearing about that? Shouldn't we know why? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Anything else on your mind today? Yeah, well, I Hey, I keep breaking in and out every now and then. I keep losing you, so I'm trying to follow along here. Uh, as far as speed, you know, I've been slowed down to 65 because that's just comfortable. And to me, it's just crazy to go any faster, especially I, faster than 70, you know, on the physics and stuff. I, I always thought so, it's so. like a train trying to slow down. Exactly. I, 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 you know, from the very first time I started, now we go back to when I started driving, some trucks on the road still didn't have front brakes. So some of the trucks I was driving back then didn't even have front brakes at all. They're just, they were just never installed on the truck. That was fairly common back then. And the drum brakes we had and the tires we had nowhere near what we have today. Trucks were hard to slow down. 
And because of that, I think, well, we have a lot of older drivers that like to go 80 and 85 too. So maybe that's not it. But I just remember driving vehicles that were not safe at those speeds. And honestly, a lot of our trucks back then could not accomplish those speeds. Most of the trucks I drove in the beginning would not go 80 miles an hour except downhill. And that that was a bad idea because if you tried that, the odds of you stopping were were pretty slim. So um, it, it's different today. We get in these trucks today with, you know, really powerful disc brakes all the way around, anti-lock brakes, which we never had um, much, much better technology. And yet our numbers are getting worse. Something's wrong with that. Ignorant, stupid people getting behind the wheel. I, I, I truly believe that it, it, the, the number one, now this is one of those things. It's never one thing. There's probably a dozen reasons why all this is happening, but if I had to pick the most important and the one we could actually fix pretty easily if we wanted to. I, I believe it's the um, all the electronics in the cab way, or the car. Way too many distractions. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. So the big topic I called about was the FCR. I just had mine replaced, and I'm wondering if you can teach about what it is What's in it? What to expect after a replacement? That's uh, where things going on. It seems like they're smoothing out. How many? Mi- still want to be sure. How many miles were on this truck? Eight hundred sixty thousand right now. Okay. What engine? What year? What truck? Sixteen Volvo Volvo engine D thirteen. Okay. So when you say they replaced the SCR, that's selective catalytic reduction. What that means is catalytic. Think about that. We also recommend a catalyst to put into the tank, right? Correct. So catalytic means that there is a reaction occurring. Something is changing during this process. So this is where we use chemicals to create a catalytic reaction to reduce the emission problems that we have. That's what selective catalytic reduction is. The catalyst is the DEF. So we don't see this part of the system replaced all that often. I, I, this is not a really common. Now, when you say what should happen after, well, anytime we have a repair, the result after should be the vehicle works the way it's supposed to. So what's going on with this? Is it not working the way it's supposed to? I've had when it warms up like a white grayish smoke, which is starting to clear up. Um, I'm not so sure I would be concerned about that smoke on startup. There's a lot of really interesting things going on in startup. When the engine is cold, the ECM has to make up for it with all kinds of crazy settings. Changes timing and fuel flow, and and that's designed that way. One, they still want that engine to be reducing emissions as much as possible, but there's some leeway in there. 
that they can make some changes where the vehicle may pollute slightly more during that time, but they're still within limits. And that allows us to get a, a, you know, a good warm up the way we should. Once the engine reaches operating temperature, all those kind of temporary settings go away. So that, that white smoke in the beginning, I'm not, that's just not a big deal. Oh, okay. Uh, it's got a very slight, uh, rough idle. And when I went up mountain grace at the beginning of last week, after I picked up my truck, Uh oh, Nathan. Nathan, there. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. You're back. Yep. There. Well, you were back. And then uh, oh, fuel there, mileage lost. There you are. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, we'll try here. And uh, fuel mileage lost about one mile per gallon. Oh, now that's big. So I'm that, keeping track of the fuel mileage. That's that's an issue. Yeah. No doubt. The the white smoke and the, the rough idle is a little bit of an issue. Do you have a shop that you really trust that they really know what's going on with this engine? Um, kind no. of. The, the shop the, the, guys the, I can the trust are no. there, but that's, yeah, that, that's I think the answer is no. Look, here's the thing. Yeah, that that's that's kind of what I thought. Here's the thing. When I say is the is the shop good, do you really trust them? If I pull into Pittsburgh Power, I trust them. Absolutely trust them that they know what to do. If something happens and they don't know it, probably nobody knows it. I mean, they're they're just that good of a shop. And there are a couple other shops around the country just like that. When it comes to Volvos, Joel has some really good Volvo dealers where we know we can trust them. They understand the issues. A lot of these shops just don't. They don't stay up with this stuff. So my concern is that this was just maybe the overhead wasn't done properly when they put this thing back together. Things like that are my concern. I mean, replacing the SCR system itself should be fairly straightforward. It's all the other parts of it did they get right. And I'm hearing some things that kind of make me believe they don't have this thing put back together right. Now, the SCR was the only thing they did for that besides replacing the thermostat. Well, maybe it needs an overhead then. Uh, that may be an issue too. Yeah. Um, we, so part, and I'm that thinking, February. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about that rough idle and that kind of, you know, that the, some of these, the, the loss of fuel economy, some of it, you lose a whole mile per gallon though, and something else is going on. Really, this one is going yeah. to be really difficult to diagnose. Now, Joel might be able to help us out a little on this. Maybe, maybe they've seen it. They've had enough Volvos that maybe they've run across this before, um, maybe we'll get a call from somebody else that's seen it. Otherwise, my advice is reach out to Joel to find a good shop close to you and, and let's let somebody take a look at this that knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. My other thought was uh, dirty injectors because it sat for two weeks. Sitting for two weeks won't hurt anything at all. Sitting for two months wouldn't hurt the injectors. Okay. Sitting for two years won't hurt the injectors. The injectors have such tight tolerances, it's not like something would build up on them because it was sitting. Sitting has almost 
zero impact on the injectors. I honestly think a truck could sit for 20 years and the injectors wouldn't suffer. Other things might, but this isn't because it sat for two weeks. Not at all. I mean, I've had trucks that sit for two years and you go drive them and there's no problems at all. So it could be injectors, it could be overhead, but it's not because it was sitting. Okay. But my concern is, if all they replaced was the SCR, then whatever is still causing a problem either had to be causing a problem before or it's something they created. There may be an underlying Mm -hmm. issue that caused the SCR to fail and they never went to look for it. So we always try to make sure we're addressing the root cause. Well, we could have a, a poor overhead set. We could have a sensor failing somewhere else. And then you start putting too much um, emissions back through that SCR and that'll wipe it out. See, the, the engine is designed to do some of the cleanup, the EGR and all that. Then we get to the SCR and it does more of the cleanup. But if you're feeding dirty air into that SCR because you have another problem that we haven't identified, that will cause the SCR to fail. Because the SCR is downstream. It's the last step in the process. Yeah, the previous owner said that thing's always had sensor issues. But he also drove 70, 75, 80 miles an hour cruising over RPMs with it. So there's the problem. I don't know if that's going to have a... So why why did you buy this truck knowing that? Um, Opportunist. Yeah, opportunity for problems. Really? Stupidity. Yeah, yeah. There we go. You're right. And this is one we're going to say you're going to pay a stupid tax on this one. It just, it, these emission systems are sensitive. We know that. We know they can cause you all kinds of problems and headache and money. One of the things we know is if the truck is spec'd wrong and driven wrong, you will create those problems. I would stay away from trucks like that, trucks with too high of idle time, trucks with too many regens in their history, trucks where we can see the average speed and the top speed were too high, trucks that have the wrong gears. You just have to avoid them. You will deal with these problems, and sometimes you can't fix them. The best you can do is put Band-Aids on them and hope it doesn't get worse sometimes. You may have to re-gear this truck. Now, when you're driving it now, are you driving it in the right RPM ranges? I drive it at 65. What's the RPM? 1,300. 1,300. That's not bad, but... 65. It's a 308. Yeah. That's a fairly common setup on these. It's not ideal. Almost seventeen grand. Yeah. That, I I've been saying that for years. We used to be able to re-gear some trucks for about four or five thousand dollars, and even then, I used to have to tell people it may not make sense to re-gear the truck. That's a lot of money. We have to make sure we're going to make up the difference. Now, on a when we know a truck is spec wrong and it's it's hurting both fuel economy and maintenance in an issue like this. We may have to re-gear it, but here's the problem. We should have never bought the truck. 
we can say, sure, we can fix it. But if it's mm-hmm. going to cost you fifteen to $20,000, that doesn't make any sense. We'll never recover that money or it will take us too long. Yeah. So we, we makes more sense to go buy a new one, except, a different one. except that's a horrible idea in today's world. You're going to get screwed on the trade in on yours. You're going to pay too much for the one you're going to buy. Here's the I, I know I'm beating up on you, but I, I'm doing it to make a point. We just came through about a decade. Yeah. And, and, you know, it'll educate somebody else that maybe is about to make this mistake. Here's what we have to remember. We just came through about a decade where you could make a lot of these mistakes and be just fine. You'd still be in business. You'd still be making a profit. You'd probably be pretty happy with your profit. It's annoying and it's, you know, we, but we are entering into an area where these mistakes will put you out of business now. That's the difference. The mis- these mistakes that maybe they don't seem that big. Oh, well, I bought a truck. It's got the wrong specs. It, no, no big deal. We, we'll fix it. Well, well, no, you won't. That's 17000 That doesn't work. Well, we'll go get another truck. Well, no, you won't. That's not going to work either. There's, the profit margins are going to get so tight that little mistakes are going to become a problem. Make two or three little mistakes, and that might be all it takes. So I'm trying to warn people, be very, very careful about the decisions you make right now. Oh, yeah. We don't have that luxury anymore of being able to make those mistakes and still stay in business to learn from them. You know, I love to learn by mistakes. I I make tons of them. I talk about it all the time. I have a strategy that says if I'm trying to learn something new, I want to make as many mistakes as I possibly can as fast as I can make them. That's how I learn. It's the best way for me to learn. Jump in, do it, figure out what I'm doing wrong and and correct the mistakes. But you have to be careful that you're not going to make mistakes that could put you out of business because then even if you learned a lesson from them, doesn't do much good because now you're out of business. I would, the best advice I have for you right now, reach out to Joel, find a really good shop. Don't keep goofing around here with shops that you you don't know whether they're any good or not. Find somebody who we have verified, understands these issues, and get this truck to them. Okay, yeah, I'll message him on uh, Facebook and see if he can't recommend something. Perfect. Yeah, the the problem is right now, this is not a common replacement, not that I'm aware of. And if it's not, then a lot of shops don't know what's going on with this issue. Let's go to California this time. Jerry, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, Kevin. Just out here living the life, buddy. I'm telling you, sitting here in the dock of the 2007 Kenworth with a free emission engine, just living the life. There you go. You didn't hear that. That wasn't on air, was it? No, of course not. Nobody's listening to us. No, okay. It's between you and me. So That's right. I've probably made this statement before before I get to my question. Uh, you know, I think everybody under, misunderstands that distracted driving It's completely misunderstood. With all the electronics in the cab, it's actually the driving that's the distraction. <laughs> You're right. Maybe we should invent vehicles that could drive themselves. 
Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, just look exactly. around and see all the electronics. and Well, well driving. If you're driving, you get a good time I, out there. I, I talked about this the other day. I'm not just talking about cell phones either. I'm just not talking about people watching YouTube video. Hell, some drivers are recording YouTube videos while they're driving. Lots of them. Yeah. That, that is a problem, but that's not the only problem. These these touch touch displays in vehicles are a really, really bad idea. Multiple levels of menus. You have to be looking at that screen. You can't feel where a button is. And if it takes you three or four clicks to get to certain settings, which it does, do you know how much time people are staring at that screen trying to get their heater changed? Way too much. It's a stupid idea. It really is. The touch screen with all of these menus and, and available options should go away. Well, and I sit here and look at a scan gauge, a dash cam, two cell phones, a GPS, a tablet with an <laughs> e-logs and an audible and let's truck on it. Uh, I still got an old iPod I use once in a while, satellite radio and a CB. What the oh my hell is it? It's the driving that's the distraction. <laughs> Oh, you're right, though. Oh, man. Oh, man. But uh, I'd, I'd hate to go down the road without it. So, uh, hey, well, let me hey, get to the hey, question. Hey, I'm sure speaking of which, speaking oh. of which, you know, I, I have to say oh, I'm guilty. You. One of the devices you mentioned in there was one we, we make, the scan gauge. Is that yeah. more of a distraction? Well, yeah. maybe. But here was our thought process on that. And a lot of people have asked us, why isn't this Bluetooth? Why, why can't I just read all this data on my phone? And we looked at that. And I, I, and I said this back then. I don't like the fact that Bluetooth, especially in the vehicle, is a huge distraction because you've got multiple devices competing for the Bluetooth signal and they randomly seem to change. I mean, every once in a while when you yep. hear the caller on this show drops out, I can still hear them, but nobody else can. And the reason I can hear them is because the my phone grabbed the Bluetooth signal from my soundboard. So now the sound is coming through the speaker on the phone and nobody else can hear it. It happens randomly. I can't figure out how to stop it. So if we're going to fix that issue, I have to get away from using Bluetooth in, as part of the show. Well, when we were looking at the scan gauge and the idea, could we make this Bluetooth and write a phone app? And we could have. We've written several apps. I thought, wait a minute. I don't like this idea of somebody reaching for their phone while they're driving, then the Bluetooth disconnected. So now they're going to try to connect their Bluetooth again. While I thought that's just a bad idea. We're going to hardwire this thing and it's not going to your phone. So for me, all we did was yep. give a truck a complete gauge package and it really wasn't any more of a distraction. Yep. Good idea. So yeah, I was, in my truck the other day, my grandson come sat in there with me, and he was talking about my radio and how my satellite hooked up. And I told him it had a box and everything. And he just liked to have me real funny. He said, "It's not Bluetooth." <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's not. Some of us are still old, buddy. Yeah. Well, it, it, look, right on. look, I I was probably one of the first people using Bluetooth. I, I've been first on most technology. That's just what I do. Some of it sucks. In Bluetooth is one of them. The whole idea that, that 
We can't stop devices from grabbing the Bluetooth. We've, we, we hear this issue all the time from drivers. I, my headset was, I was on my call in my headset and all of a sudden my GPS grabbed it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't have that problem. I got one Bluetooth and I was probably one of the last adapters of that technology, but I'd hate to go back, but that's it. So, uh, well, I'm sure you got calls piling up, so let me get to my question. It's a goofy, goofy tax question. Oh, boy. And let me frame it in this way. No, it'll, it's not hard for you. You'll, you'll understand it. But let me frame it in a way that it'll make sense for everybody, and that is that if, if you sell me a product out of your store for $100 and you pay the shipping, and let's say the shipping's $20, so you've got $80 that you wanted for your product, and you paid the shipping, and it cost you $20, but it still cost me $100. Or you could sell me a product out of your store for $80, and I'll pay the shipping, which cost me $20. I still pay $100. You get your $80, and I pay the shipping, and it's all wash entry. It's all the same amount of money to me as $100. Now, let's... No, wait, 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 wait. Bring it that way for the... Hold on. we got to start over. I we got to... I either missed something in there or I'm very confused. Right now, you buy something in our store and how much are you going to pay for it? Just for the product right now. I'm going to write this down so I make sure I keep this straight. Let's just say that $100, but you pay the shipping. Well, we'll stop. And the shipping's going to cost you $20. That's why I need to do this in order. Hold on. So you're buying a product. Right. What is the price of the product? Let's start with that. No shipping. Just give me the price of the product. Pick one. I don't care. $100. Okay. So it's $100. And now shipping, it, 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 let's just say there is a price for shipping. There always is. We may cover that price and you of get it free. Is. Let, let's put a number on the shipping. Let's say it's 20 bucks. 20, $20, $20 bucks for shipping. Now. Here's where you're making a mistake. It's not the same amount of money the way you just described this. The overall transaction is $120. You never used that number. 80 is nowhere in the ballpark here. You said 80. 80 doesn't exist in this transaction. The transaction is either 100 or 120. No, because you you do it. You covered out of your cost. It, but that's, uh, that's uh, irrelevant no, to the it, no, Well, wait a minute. I All have right. to get this straight. If I'm going to answer a tax question, I have to make sure I've got the numbers straight. The, All right. It's not irrelevant. You put a, it's, you it's, put very, it's very relevant. Here's, here's the scenario. The total transaction is $120. That's the total transaction. Somebody has to cover $120 somehow. You either pay 120 or you pay 100 and we pay 20. Those are the only two options here. There is no $80 option and it's not the same. Here's the thing. If, if we, if I say we're not covering shipping anymore, we did that as because people hate to pay shipping. So we said in some scenarios, we'll cover the shipping. If we were to charge you that shipping, taxes or not, you're going to pay more money. That's all there is to it. There's no way around that. All right, but I, I I understand what you're saying, but I was trying to make it a simple explanation so that my question will make sense. Okay, well, let's try the question. Okay, all right. The question is, is that there are a number of states that you have talked about that don't charge income tax. 
Do you mean sales tax? Or beneficial living? No, income tax. Income tax. Like okay. Florida doesn't have a There's income seven tax. Of them. The yeah. Income tax. There's seven states. Okay. So my question is, all those, so they're, they're beneficial to live in because they don't have any state income tax. My question is, somehow those states are providing services that are required. Aren't there other peripheral costs to living in those states that make up the difference? That, yeah. That's my question. Yes. How do those states pay for all that? I mean, everybody counts their beneficial live-in because they don't have any state income tax, but what other fees for goods and services are you paying in those states that make up the difference? That's my, my. that's kind of my question is, is so, somehow they're making up, they're somehow they're... Of course they are. Let, the revenue somehow. Let, let's go through how easy it is for states to generate revenue, whether it's in, let's think about the things they can generate revenue with, income tax, sales tax, property tax. Um, registration fees for vehicles. We could go on and on and on about all the things a state could charge yeah. us to live there. So trying to compare state to state is really difficult. The, I've done it. There are, there are reports out there that you can go look at, but there's a lot of factors here. Just because a state doesn't have an income tax doesn't mean it's a cheap state to live in. Florida was a good example. Florida was not a, at one point it was, but it got outrageously expensive to live in Florida for a lot of reasons. But income tax wasn't one of them, but sales tax, vehicle registrations, property tax, all of those can be wildly different state to state. And then that's how the state decides to generate its revenue. Look at Oregon. They don't have a fuel tax. How bizarre. They're the only state out of 50 that decided not to have a fuel tax that that changes the the so I, I can tell you this that one of the cheapest states to live in overall is South Dakota it has no income tax it has a low sales tax it has low vehicle registration fees it has low property tax that is one of the cheaper ones but trying to figure out you know what's more expensive to live in Iowa or Nebraska sometimes it can just be difficult all right. Well, that, that answered it. I mean, I just, you know, there a lot of people. We we count the fact that, oh, I live in this state because they don't have any income tax, but what other fees are you paying to make up the difference? And they never want to talk about that. That that was, you answered the question. So. Yeah, well, you know, Oregon and Washington having a border are two really interesting states. They're, they're actually both really expensive states to live in, but Washington doesn't have a income tax and Oregon doesn't have a sales tax. Hmm. They just generate. Yeah, it, it's part of it's by design. Governments, the more ways they have to collect revenue, the more confused we are about it. Well, that's what they want to keep you confused. So that's why we would love to see a fair tax at the federal level. And then within a couple of years, all of the states would follow, I'm sure of it, and we would eliminate. And here's why. The states depend on the federal tax return. You have to do a federal tax return before you can do your state tax return. So if the federal tax goes away completely with the fair tax and the IRS doesn't exist anymore and there is no income tax code, the states are going to look at this and go, why would we develop a whole new system now, which we would have to do? Why don't we just eliminate our income tax as well? 
so we could eliminate an income tax at the federal and state level and deal with these other taxes instead, consumption taxes. Yep. Well, that answer that I just, you know, I talk to people and they just want to count the benefits of their state, but they're not looking at the overall Absolutely. Well, Washington is a great example. Many of the no-tax states do seem to be states I would rather live in. Texas, Florida, Nevada. Um, but Washington's kind of an anomaly. They don't have a an income tax, but my God, the rest of their tax structure is awful. Well, they're generating the same amount of revenue as other Maybe states, more. even though they don't have an income tax. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and some states right, do. Yeah, some states do generate a lot more revenue than other states. Oh yeah, no, and spend it too. Exactly. Holy cow! Right. Oh my. So all right. Well, sorry to get off on the weeds in the tail or no, the no problem thing. I just thought that was an example of how uh, how it would compare to a state having a income tax and not having income tax and somehow they have the revenue has to be made up somehow. So it, it yeah. Thank, All right. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. They're good at making up revenue. Let's go to New Mexico. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, I, I had uh, two things. One about Walmart and Chevron and uh, natural gas. And the other, uh, you're talking about the autonomous. We were on a photo shoot for the past week, uh, and sometimes they got to shut down the whole road to let the cars do their photo shoot, and then they'll open the road back up to do their thing. Hey, and uh, we were on a photo shoot this weekend. It, real quick, and, uh, I, I was just going to jump in and say, yeah. I, I, I've told the story a couple of times. I, I could talk for the several hours about a week-long photo shoot I did with trucks one time. It was pretty interesting. God, yeah, they're definitely uh, definitely interesting, you know. And the and the sheriffs had the road shut down. Yeah, they got the traffic stopped. Well, the next vehicle in line to be stopped is an autonomous car driving around the Phoenix area. <laughs> they're everywhere <laughs> out there. I talked about and this the other day. I might have read the article about this. This one just have we just witnessed this incident ourselves over this weekend. Oh, okay. And there was one a week or so ago too that I talked yep. about. Yep, it's you know it's going to get very popular, and the sheriff has to get on the walkie. You know, we okay, we got the road shut down. Well, he had to then get on the road and say, "I've got an autonomous vehicle, and I can't get it to stop. I've waved <laughs> I've been in front of it." He goes, "We're just." You're going to have to shut production down for a minute and let this car go through. Oh, my God. That's kind of funny, actually. Right. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we've got to figure this out. There has to be some sort of a a communication, a a way to communicate between law enforcement and these vehicles somehow. Yeah. When when the the sheriff couldn't do anything, he had just shut production down while this thing made its way through the, the, the photo shoot. Yeah. So one of the funny stories that came out of this, and I can tell it fairly quickly. So the what was going on here was I was with, this is when it was still RPS, FedEx had not bought us yet, and RPS decided to make its first ever national commercial. And they decided to film it at the Orlando terminal because they wanted the tropic look and the sunshine and the blue skies and the water and palm trees. So they're going to film it out of Orlando. 
And now they need a truck because FedEx or RPS doesn't own any trucks. They just own trailers. I had just bought a brand new Ford single axle 9000. I will tell you that single axle Ford and it tucked up real tight to the trailers. um, That may have been one of the best looking trucks I had ever seen hooked up to a set of doubles. It just really looked good. And somebody saw it and they said, that's the truck we need in the commercial. So the commercial is going to take a week. Um, They cut a deal with me. They paid me exactly what that truck would make in a week. So I didn't lose any revenue. And then they paid me for my time uh, because I wasn't a full-time driver at the time. I had drivers. So my driver still has to go do his run. I have to go rent a truck. So they covered the rental. And then I have to come in and drive the truck for the commercials for all week. So RPS gave me a great deal, paid me for everything. What an experience, though. It was it was frustrating most of the time. It was crazy to watch. I cannot believe what we had to do for a week to produce a 30 second commercial. And honestly, the commercial sucked. I, I was so disappointed with it when it was done. It was awful. And the director was one of those typical Hollywood, you know, screaming at everybody, throwing stuff around. I'm like, dude, it's a commercial. My God, you're not winning an Oscar here. Just chill. But the stuff we had to go through, here's was one of the crazy things. I, every time the truck moved, I was the one driving it. In the commercial, every time you see a truck driver, it wasn't me because I wasn't allowed to be in it because of the union. I was not allowed to yep. be paid and be seen in that film because I wouldn't join the union. That's wow. how goofy that is. So they had a stand in that every time you saw like the driver getting out of the truck, it was somebody else. It wasn't me. But every time the truck was moving, I was the one driving it. So we went through all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. But the, the one that got me the most, I remember we're pulling doubles. For the people who aren't aware, you can't back up doubles. Now, you can hear some crazy stories once in a while. We talk about people that can do it a certain distance, that have practiced, are really good at it. But for the most part, you can't back up doubles. It's just so we know that. So the scenario on this particular day, and it was our last last thing we had to film at the end of the week, so everybody's frustrated. Here's the scenario. The Orlando Turnpike exit, when you get off of it, the road goes three, you have three ramps. You have a a ramp that kind of goes straight. You have a ramp that curves to the left and you have a ramp that curves to the right. So what they wanted was the doubles going down the center ramp. They wanted a package van going to the left and they wanted a straight truck going to the right And the director wants it right at sunset for the perfect lighting. So we go down there that morning because we're going to spend all day down here figuring out this shot. How are we going to do it? And the first thing I realize is when I get off this ramp, if we didn't get the shot and we have to come back and do the shot again, it takes me 20 minutes to get back to that spot again. 
I actually have to go down another interstate, get off another ramp, turn around, come back, get on the turnpike, go down another exit, turn around again, and come back and get set up to do the shot. And it's 20 minutes minimum. And I'm trying to explain to the director, if you want to get this shot at a certain time of the sunset, you have one shot. That's it. Maybe if we do it perfect, you might get two chances at it, but that's it. And and he wasn't understanding me. He's like, well, just, just turn around sooner. And I'm like, you don't understand. I've driven the whole place. This is the only way it can be done. I'm trying to warn you about this. And he just kept ignoring me all day. So we finally get to the later in the day when we have to do the shot and we're talking about it. And he says, he says, look, if you go through and we don't get the shot, we'll call you immediately and you just need to stop and back up. <laughs> like You can't. I can't back up. I can't turn these things around. This is how it has to work. And now he's pissed. So now everybody's mad. We're we're getting ready to shoot this scene. And we're trying to figure out how we could do a second shot if we need to. And we're running out of time. And now, now we determine a new problem. By the time I get to this ramp, after I have to come through a toll booth, I have to stop at the toll booth. He wants me going 40 miles an hour. All the vehicles have to be going 40 miles an hour when they get to this point. I looked at him. I said, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can't? I said, I can't accelerate that fast. I had to stop at the toll booth. (laughs) So now we're talking about, okay, we're going to block off the toll booth. We're going to shut down that lane so I can just blow right through the toll booth without stopping so I can be going 40 miles an hour. Well, now there's problems with that. The Turnpike Commission doesn't want to do that. So now a state trooper walks into this conversation that we've been fighting about for an hour, and he says, well, just have him back up to get a farther run. And I looked at him and I said, I can't back up doubles. And he threw his hat down and he said, why the fuck didn't they send somebody who could then? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I just lost it. And it's the end. I could go through story after story like this every day. We were tearing shit up in downtown Orlando. I was driving doubles through downtown Orlando. We were knocking tree branches into the sidewalk. It was the whole week was a mess. Yeah, we don't we don't look forward to doing them. We've probably done five of them since we've been over here in the past five years. So probably have just one a year. Um, but this was a long one. We were on it for ten days traveling wow. around Arizona. Wow. Um, yeah, it can be interesting. That's for sure. Oh, it was interesting. Not the funnest. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, there were some frustrating times, but uh, I the first shot we did. The, I just talked about the last shot. The first shot we did was there's a like a local inter no it's not an interstate there's a local highway that runs it's a toll road that runs through the middle of Orlando um, and it goes right over a lake so this shot they wanted at sunrise and they wanted the the tractor and trailers coming across this lake and they were shooting across the lake to see it and it's a toll road you can get you go across the bridge right after the bridge. There's an exit. You get off. You can circle back around to the other side of the lake, get back on and do it again. So this one, we can actually keep taking shots pretty quickly. So that's what we're planning for. I had like 
$50 worth of quarters in my truck so I could keep paying the tolls as we went through. Uh, but we just did this shot over and over and over and over all morning long. The whole, like I said, the whole week was just kind of crazy. Yeah, that the first intersection you're talking about, that big intersection, that might be the intersection we get off at. We have a yard in Orlando as well, and it's is that the 528. Yes. You got the turnpike, and yep. I think 528. Yep. And then I, that's the one. 528 goes to the far right. Yeah. Yep, that's the exit. Yeah, that's a busy intersection. <laughs> yes. Yeah, especially but, uh, when the sun's going down um, in the wintertime, it's early and it's rush hour. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, the, and you know, the other thing was, uh, did you see the article? I don't know if I missed you talking about it, about Walmart, Chevron, and Cummins all partnering up to put their, Walmart just put their first natural gas truck on the road last week? I did. I, I don't get it. I mean, Cummins has been through this. I don't understand. I, I go back to 2014 when we pushed natural gas so hard, and it went away, and it went away for a reason. All the testing showed it was outrageously expensive. And then I, I don't understand where Walmart uh, stepped away from the electric and their uh, in, in natural gas. Where are they filling I, them all up at? I don't get it. That and why would we do this? It's not efficient. You know, Walmart at one point was pushing for a 15 mile per gallon semi. Long before we were talking about electric or hybrids or any of this, they this was the mid-2000s. They came out and said by 2015, I remember the year, by 2015, we will have a vehicle, a truck that gets 15 miles to the gallon. And they built one, remember? They had one of the super truck projects. But why are they moving away from that concept? Yeah, yeah that was a interesting-looking truck and trailer. Yeah, it was. I drove for them from 07 to 14. And uh, that's that when, was, that, when all that was going That on. was the time when they were working on that, right? They announced it in the mid-2000s, sometime right around 2005, and said by 2015 they would be getting 15 miles to the gallon. They won't get five miles to the gallon out of natural gas. It doesn't have many BTUs. It's going to be very expensive. Then at some yeah. point it's going to be taxed for highway tax. It's going to make it even more expensive. And then – the really unexpected consequences on all those vehicles, the maintenance costs doubled. Yeah, it's going to be a costly uh, experience for them, it seems yeah, like. I don't get it. And Cummins is always the one that seems to be chasing this natural gas thing. I don't see anybody else working on it. No, no, especially, the, you know, they designed that newest engine to be able to be compatible in those different ways, though. So they've been working on it. You know, one yeah, of the things I I, I think wasn't made very clear about these multi-fuel engines, these multi-fuel diesels that can run on things even as crazy as ammonia. Um, one of the things they didn't make very clear is it, it's not one engine that can do that. It is multiple configurations of an engine. You can't be running diesel and then decide right. you're going to pull over and use ammonia or natural gas. They're totally different builds. Yeah, when it comes out, comes out of factory, you can have different options. But once it's built, it's right. done. Right. Yeah. No. 
Interesting, man. Alrighty. Sounds good, man. Appreciate all you do. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Kevin, I'm going to start the truck, and this damn truck will probably take my phone for a second. <laughs> All right. yeah, of course it will. The Bluetooth. That's right. Uh, well, last Friday, you guys were talking about somebody said you had a bad audio problem. So I figured out what happened and why I can't hear it. There is an issue. And I, I understand what's happening. And there's actually a pretty simple fix to it. So here's what's happening. When Joel, Joel must have some sort of a setup on a kind of speakerphone thing. And when I'm talking, it is coming through Joel's speaker and then going right back into his microphone and creating an echo. But I can't hear it. Because I'm the one talking and it wouldn't echo on my line. It's echoing on Joel's line while I'm talking. That's what was confusing. I, I thought they were saying Joel was echoing. And I'm like, well, I would hear that. And I'm not hearing it. What they meant was my voice is echoing over Joel's connection. So I have to get Joel some yeah. hardware that will stop that from happening. But But I can't hear it. And... Some people were saying everything sounds fine. So it sounds like some people can hear this echo and others can't. Well, I, I did hear it, but I was listening to it on the replay this morning. And what it sounded like, you know how when a caller has still got his AM or his uh, satellite radio turned on and he hears right. himself? Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's what it sounded like to that, me. That, that's similar because if there is a delay and you hear yourself on that delay, it makes it almost impossible to talk. So I don't think Joel's hearing it. Joel's not hearing that echo himself because I would be able to tell because people start to talk and then they hesitate and then they start to talk and then they hesitate. I can tell when somebody's getting an echo in their own ear. And Joel's not getting one. I'm not getting it. And it seems like not all the listeners are hearing it, which is the only explanation I can think for that is if you're sitting still in a nice, quiet room, you'll probably hear it. Or even sitting in a vehicle that's off and it's nice and quiet, you'll probably hear the echo. Driving down the road with all the other noise, well, maybe some people aren't hearing it then. Well, I heard it just fine this morning in my... 2018 VNL 670 because they're pretty quiet. It's, it's pretty quiet. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I understand what's happening now. The problem is I'm going to have to get him some sort of temporary fix because once we finish our broadcast app, which could be any day right now, the programmers are late. Um, once that's finished, then I will work out hardware for our other host, and we're going to standardize it. This is the hardware everybody's going to use. That way, when there's a problem, I can troubleshoot it easily. Right now, we have all the remote hosts. They're all doing their own thing. There's different equipment, different headsets, different setups. Some people are just on their phone. Um, I'm not exactly sure what Joel's using. We tried to get him the Garmin headsets, um, but... It, it, everything right now is kind of cobbled and hacked together. Um, 
So I'll just have to figure out some sort of quick temporary solution until we get our app done. Once our software's done, then I'll go work on the hardware side and we're going to standardize it for everybody. Okay. I just, that's not really why I called you. You asked a question on Friday's show and I just thought I'd tell you what I heard. Yeah. Thank you. So Morgan, which I just caught her last name. She must be, is she related to Aaron? It's Aaron's daughter. Uh, no wonder. I was seen the last name. I thought, well, I bag on Kevin. He just hires all kinds of family. Well, yeah. And, and you know, Aaron's got about 32 kids. So we have a, a workforce built in. Has he figured out what's causing that? Yeah, he, he still can't figure it out. They just, kids just show, show up at his house, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so did, uh, Morgan was going to send you my, my reports for the first quarter. She did. You see him? I do. Okay. Well, I know there's a feller up in Minnesota that likes to just talk all this stuff about his numbers. Aha, Turkey. I'm going to send mine in. Just see what Kevin says. There you go. Look, when we first developed profit gauges, I tried to encourage all kinds of people to call and talk about their numbers. People get weird. I know it's money and we're not supposed to talk about money. And then some people think they, you know, have to keep secrets. And I'm, I'm more of the approach. Let's share everything. Hell, we all learn from this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I I like it when people send in their numbers. Let's talk about it. That's how we learn. So let's just go over yours like it's a brand new report. So we're talking about first quarter of 2023, January through March. Now, remember, really since January, all we've been talking about in this industry are how fast rates are dropping. We're hearing horrible numbers. Now, remember. Go ahead. Remember, I'm the guy that just got a cut in our, in our Schedule B, they call it, in our rate. I'm the guy that just got a cut, and, oh, man, they've been parking trucks. I've been parked two or three days a week for the last three weeks. Got it. So March okay. wasn't that bad for the parking for no freight. But boy, in April, it's been horrible. Got it. So you guys might just be And I do intermodal, so you got it. So they're, they're, I'm glad you're doing this right now. There's a couple lessons here. There, So we're hearing really horrible numbers. We're seeing trucking companies go out of business, owner-operators go back to being drivers. And yet, there are clearly still segments that even into the first quarter were doing great. We've heard from a lot of people, but I have a feeling the second quarter is not going to be that way. I, I think there are some people who are doing a lot of things right and that that has carried them through. But I think it's the second quarter when we start talking about everybody's numbers, they're going to look a lot different. Now, you mentioned something else that's interesting. Intermodal. Typically, intermodal does not pay well. I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, we see right. a lot of pe- there's a lot more competition in intermodal because people want to be home. And that's usually the, the big advantage to intermodal. You get home a lot. We, we tend to see, honestly, you, I'm sure you experience this working around it, tend to see a lot of minorities. Oh, right? Oh, uh, it's, uh, they, uh, so many. Uh, so many. And here's the thing. You know, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but, but the reason you see a lot of minorities is because family is still important to them. 
That's the biggest reason you oh, see yeah. this. They don't want to be gone for two, three weeks at a time or a month. It, family is still important to a lot of these cultures. So they do take these jobs, even though they pay less. And then the more people that want to be home, the less this stuff pays. It's just competition. Yet I'm looking at your numbers. They're fantastic. I had no idea you could make this much money in intermodal these days. Now, part of that, Kevin, is because of what you teach and just because I'm kind of wired this way. I was in sales for, oh, man, 10 or 12 years before I got into semi That helps. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, the the whole idea of build the rapport, all that good stuff, all that was ingrained into me when I did sales. So I kind of did my own sales job on my terminal manager, and I finally got on this one dedicated account. And I do stuff that other guys refuse to do, like terminate your own trailer at the rail depots, actually take your loaded trailer into the railroad and turn it in so it can get on the train. I go to the train and pick them up. I do stuff that other guys just simply refuse to do because an intermodal, oh, my God, you talk about it's non-force. These guys, <laughs> it's unbelievable what they refuse to do. Oh, yeah. Well, I do it. Oh, yeah. Well, because of that. We our ours is mileage band rate, but it also has a per mile if you go over two hundred miles one way. Ours is one set one oh five empty, one seventy one loaded since we've got the rate cut, but then the mileage bands are a little different. Well, because I do what nobody else will do on this account, take inventory at the customer, let them know what's there, that kind of stuff. I talked to maybe giving me loaded rate all the time, down and back. Excellent. So even though I'm empty, still getting loaded rate. Uh, yeah. You know, so there, that's part of the, why there's my per mile is the me, way it is. Let me stop there for a second. There's something a lot of people don't realize. People think that when you go lease to a company and they have this kind of standard contract that everybody signs, right? Everybody signs the same contract. So for the most part, everybody's getting paid Great. the same way, except I, I – Very seldom have I ever found a company that won't negotiate with individual owner-operators for different deals. I've seen it. Nobody even tries. Go ask, Mm -hmm. especially if you're willing to do stuff other people aren't. You know, what you just described is exactly my first year of driving was completely local. And the way it worked at the time was if you had a route, a dedicated route, you were required to come in and do that route. And you couldn't turn down freight that was on the route. You couldn't say, well, there's eight stops, but I'm pulling two of them off because I don't want to deliver those. You had to go do your route. But that was all you were required to do. Everything else, trailer spots, late pickups, flexing over into another area to help another contractor, all that was completely voluntary. They never, ever tried to force any of that, which meant there was tons of that kind of extra work. That's what I did all the time. I'd come in and spot two trailers before I would even go out on my route. And then later on that day, if there was a late pickup, I'd go do that. Yep. That's how you do it. Yeah. And and that's how you make money doing that. Um, So it's uh, let's go through some of the numbers here. Uh, we've been talking about that the the spot market average is down into the dollar sixty range right now. If we look across the country, it has just plummeted. And so, that's gross. 
Correct. So that's where we're going to start. Gross rate. We're talking spot market averages under two bucks. It's about a buck sixty right now. Um, your gross rate doing intermodal, which doesn't pay as good typically as the spot market does. Your gross rate is two fifty nine a mile. That's outstanding. And that's real miles, real money. That's not yeah. off of a computer or none of that. That's the odometer every day. Yeah, so basically we're, we're looking at you made just under profit now. Now we're going to go to profit. That was gross. Your profit is still at a buck 61 a mile. Your profit is what the gross is on the spot market. And it's your local, so you don't do as many miles. We get that. But you are on track. You're probably not going to reach it this year because this is all going to tank, but you're on track to take home $100,000. That's unheard of in the in the container yep. market. And I leave the house at 6 a.m., and I'm typically back eh, between 145 and 315, yeah. usually. Yeah, Every that, day. That's, that, that is, uh, this is an incredible um, operation, really is. To be able to generate this kind of revenue and work those hours, be home all the time is outstanding. Good. What do you think of the fuel uh, mileage that I have there? You well, here's, that as well. your fuel cost is 44 cents a mile. That is killer in today's world. Well, it was 39 on fuel gauges until I filled up this morning and I got a little worse. I only got like 8.96 on that tank. They kicked it over to like 41 cents. Nine plus miles to the gallon pulling containers around local. I mean, that almost puts you in, in the category with the super milers. Well, that's 55 miles an hour all the time in 11th gear also. And and you're getting the job done and going home early. Why would we go any faster? I make my appointments. I was an hour early today. No problem. Now you just leave a little earlier. That's all. Herschel, thank you for sharing these. I don't often get to see these kind of intermodal numbers anymore. I used to see a bunch of this when I did a lot of accounting, but I don't anymore. So, And that goes for anybody that's listening. If you're in some sort of a, a segment other than just the straight truckload we always talk about, if you're pulling a different trailer, you've got a different operation, and you've got numbers, share them. I, I love seeing that. And you said many times that you're not funny. I hate to tell you the story about the commercial about killed me. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the RPS commercial. That was that was funny. Oh, I even yeah. went to YouTube. I tried to find it on YouTube, and I couldn't get. I couldn't figure out how to get it. Oh, hey, wait a minute! I just thought of something. Go search again. I said we were RPS. If I remember right, this happened in that really short window when we were actually called Caliber. Caliber oh, Express. Okay. I think if I'm if I remember right now, I think that we were only Caliber for less than a year, I think. Um, RPS sold off Roadway Express, the original company that started RPS was Roadway. Well, RPS spun off Roadway and sold that and then changed everything else to Caliber. And the point was the reason they were doing it, they wanted to get bought. That was the whole point. Get rid of Roadway because it was a dog. 
make everything else really profitable, which they spent a year doing. And then FedEx came in and bought them. So it worked exactly the way they wanted it to. But I'm thinking now that when we filmed that commercial, we may have been caliber then. Okay, I'll look again. See and you can... 45 caliber, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the week was just, just insanity. Uh, you should have seen us going through downtown. So here's the story. I'll shorten it up. For some reason, they wanted this truck in downtown Orlando with all the high-rise buildings. And not that Orlando has a lot of high-rises, but they just wanted this shot downtown. And I'm like, look, guys. These trucks never go downtown. This is not authentic in any way. There is no reason for us to be in downtown Orlando with this setup. Never happens. Well, we want it anyway. All right. So most of downtown Orlando is three lanes one way in all directions. You know, so a lot of the streets are one way. It's usually three lanes. So when we get started, we get down into downtown. This is already tough. There's traffic everywhere. These corners are tight. You know, there might be three lanes and I need all three lanes to get around the corner sometimes. So we're driving around trying to figure out where he's going to do this shot. And what they have is a pickup truck following me with the film crew in the bed of the pickup truck. And then they have a car in front of me and they've got they're filming from up there. We're all on radios trying to talk to each other. So we're in the center lane driving around downtown, going around blocks. And then finally, the director gets on the radio and he says, I know what's wrong. He says, this doesn't look right. You need to move into the left lane. So it's three lanes. We've been in the center. You need to move into the left. And I said, that's not a good idea. We're driving now and talking on radios and we're arguing. And he's like, no, I need you to move over in the left lane. I said, that's not going to work. Why not? I said, look at those trees. They don't trim them down here because trucks don't come down here. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get under most of these limbs. And he's like, you'll be fine. Just move over into the left lane. Like, all right. You know, management told me do whatever this guy tells you to do unless it's totally unsafe. And I thought, all right, I'm tired of arguing with this guy. Soon as I move over in the left lane, limbs start flying everywhere. I'm breaking branches. They're flying into the sidewalk. Pedestrians are being hit by flying debris. The whole week was like this. Yeah. And and this guy was one of those emotional, temperamental. He's always screaming at everybody. And uh, we spent one whole day, I'm not kidding, nine and a half hours filming boxes coming down the conveyor belts. Wow. It, it was, uh, like I said, an entire week long, 10, 12 hour days, every day doing this stuff over and over and over for a 30 second commercial that sucked. <clears throat> wow. Well, you know how things that are old become new again? Yeah. It just, it, it cracks me up. Cracks me up. One of the best rock and roll bands ever was was queen i mean they just I could agree i could They're agree the yeah, absolutely have you have you seen the amazon prime commercial with the girl oh yes i have with the mustache she, she's got like she's got the mustache <laughs> right. yeah, and she orders a and, freddie mercury jacket and, and then she's dancing in the school and uh Freddie Mercury is hot again. He died in 1991, I think she's, it was. She's even got the same gap in her teeth. 
Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually thought it was a pretty interesting. I just love it how they can't come up with anything I new. Know. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I did too. Good. Yeah. All right, Kevin. I'll All let right. you get whoever else is there. All right. Thanks for the call. Right, Let's go to. Right. We're going to go north of the border this time. Murray in Canada. Welcome. Morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Well, just want to make a comment on LNG, and then I had some questions about fuel gauges. Sure. So, uh, as far as LNG goes, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I was working for a fuel carrier who had 17 of those dog feeder belts. They were with the LNG. Uh, they they were beyond awful. It just about broke. There was a couple of fuel carriers here in the Vancouver area that were running them. And um, it just about broke all of them. Um, and and our our general manager told me one time that that the maintenance costs on those Peterbilts were four times their normal other trucks in the fleet. Four times. Four times. See, I've heard double, which is four horrible. Times horrible. You can't afford doubling never, your maintenance cost. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. The tow costs, the extra costs for wages while a driver sat on the road four hours away from a tow truck and waited while they brought another truck out to him and swap trucks and, and never mind all that, all those extra costs and having to keep extra trucks in the fleet just to, to offset the, the boondoggle that was that LNG. He got three fuel systems on that truck. You have diesel, which fires the, the ignition. You got 2% diesel being injected in the cylinder, which sets off the, the combustion with the LNG. And then you have the LNG, which doesn't burn. It has to be converted to compressed natural gas. So now you have that, and then, and then you, you push the CNG into the engine, and, and now you've got combustion. But, yeah, oh, my goodness, oh, just... Such a complicated piece of and heavy. We had to get all extra, like everybody who ran those trucks had to get um, uh, waivers that allowed us to run an extra thousand pounds on the steering axle to accommodate those heavy stainless steel tanks up front. And we had dual, all of them were built with dual 150 gallon LNG tanks, and we could not take a trailer to Kamloops and back to Vancouver and Kamloops is a little less than 200 miles away. If we were take, we could do it with a straight trailer, like a two or three axle trailer, but we commonly routinely did trains, 140,000 pounds one way. And we had to stop and fuel in Kamloops or we wouldn't be able to get back to the coast. I just don't get it. We went through all this testing and it was obvious it was not a good idea. It didn't. It, everything was worse. Well, they were dogs. They have no power. Their fuel economy sucks. Getting fuel is time consuming and difficult. And the maintenance costs go through the roof. I have no idea why they're still pursuing this. Well, and then. And most of those trucks, they've been sold to some outfit in California. Uh, like, this is great. You know, they're great for emissions. I get that. But what you cost to run them, oh, my goodness. You know, 
just just a boondoggle. But uh, yeah, just I had the experience of driving those pieces of crap for a couple of years, and that was that was. So I just thought I'd weigh in on that. Yeah, thank you. I I just like I said, it, it's uh, yeah. with all the other options out there. I'm not sure why we're looking at this one. Yeah, I I actually thought about buying one of them and converting it to diesel because the the platform was good. You know, it was a 378 Peterbilt for doing the kind of town work that we were doing. It was a good, solid, stout platform. It, it the trucks ran good; they were solid, except for those doggone motors. So I I did some investigation and said, okay, well, like because they're diesel engines that were originally Cummins recon, re, reconditioned in Mexico and converted to LNG and then set up, and then and then uh, the outfit, uh, what was it, Westport, started putting those things in the Peterbilts here in BC. Right. Um, so I thought, well, okay, it, it's originally a diesel engine. What would it take to convert it back? Because you still have the same head, the same crank, the same cam, the same block. You just have to change the fuel delivery system and the turbo and a few other things. And I, I, there were a couple of outfits here, one in Edmonton and one nearby here in the Valley. And they said the conversion was 50 grand. Oh, ouch. And that's just, and that. Just, that's just the conversion. Oh. Convert it back to diesel. By the time you put tanks on and stripped off all the CNG and the LNG. Right. Then once you got that conversion done, then you had a nightmare with paperwork converting that for, for the licensing back to Oh, I can't uh, even imagine. Diesel. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So, so, yeah. They've all gone to California, and California can have them. Yeah, exactly. There's so many of those things laying around here in the province in different states of disassembly and repair. I'll bet. But I'll they're bet. just all over the all, yep. all the wrecking yards are full of them things. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Uh wanted to ask about fuel gauges. So I run fuel gauges on the, the I ran it when I had my truck and I'm running it now on the company truck that I have. Um I'm wondering if it's ever been considered to put like when you enter your information into the field, when you do a fill up, is there any chance it could ever be changed to like um, liters and kilometers? Yeah. All you have to do is go into your settings and change it. I tried that. It won't let me. You need to just call then. It's something it, it we've had, we've been okay. able to do liters and kilometers for about a decade now. I mean, it's been a long time. I forget when we finally finished that, but it's been a long, long time. You have the option of tracking in either system. Okay. Maybe I'll delete it and reinstall it. Yeah, give that a try. And if if for some reason it's not working, just call TribeCare. We'll get this fixed. But, yeah, we've had that option for quite some time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because we we, here we buy our fuel in layers. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And then – and we talk to you about our fuel mileage. We talk about American mileage, right? To the U.S. gallon. We do, and that's kind of the beauty of the system is it will do all that work and conversion for you. And and that's why we designed it that way, because we knew it was going to be used in both countries. Okay. I'll, I'll – uh... I'll uh, try the settings, and if not, I'll call Tractor. Thank you. All right, perfect. Thanks for the call. All right, let's uh, – oh, hold on. 
All right. Uh, I'm about ready to grab my uh, my last call on the board. So if I finish this and there's no more calls, I'm going to wrap it up for today. Just Just so you know, the next two weeks are sort of a pseudo vacation for me. Uh, I really, really just wanted to take two weeks off completely um, and take one week to just relax and wind down and do a whole lot of nothing. And then one week in the garden when the weather gets better here. So um, I decided two weeks without any shows is probably not a good idea as much as I'd like to do it. So I'm going to kind of do a modified vacation. I'm going to do most shows over the next two weeks. Uh, I think I'm going to take off this Friday and next Monday. I think I'm going to at least make a long weekend in the middle there. Um, but all the other days I'll be doing the shows themselves. But once the show's over, I'm done for the day. That, that's kind of my vacation. Um, it's the best I can manage right now. So um, there will probably be days where if the calls slow down, I'll, I'll quit. I, if you want me to stay here, I'll stay. But you got to call. Um, or not. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up? I got a couple of things now. Sure. Uh, first of all, with, uh, with Joel, with the, the problem with the, the audio is, is that sometimes people have their headsets up too high to hear. And when that gets comes out loud, it gets picked up by their, by their microphone if they're using a the headset. Because I've had that happen to me a couple of times when I used to call in. But that's all that is. It's on Joel's end. It's all like over-modulating over or something, like you said, something's picking it up. Right. Right. I have to fight with the same issue here. I, I would prefer not to wear a headset. You know, three hours with the headset on every day, I just, I'd rather not. But it's so touchy in a studio like this, because if I have an open speaker, it's so easy for that to feed back into my mic. And you can stand there, you can get the settings perfect so that it doesn't do it. And then all it takes is one caller that has way too much volume. And all of a sudden you've got that echo. Right. So, yeah, the same thing can happen on the other end. That's where once we get our software done and we'll address some of these issues with our software, then I'll start working on a hardware solution for all of our hosts so that they're all on the same equipment. Yeah, I mean, we could still hear it. That everyone was trying to figure out what it was, and and it's like, you know, like, like you said, just because you can't hear it, you think it's fine, and then people don't want to call up and piss them off. Oh, no, audio sucks. No, like, well, know, here's like, the other thing. I mean, hear it all the time, you know. Look, if somebody complains about the audio, I believe them. Why would somebody lie about it? That doesn't make any sense. So if somebody says something is happening, I, I believe them that it's happening. I, sometimes I can't hear the same thing. But the weird thing about this was somebody would complain. I believe them. I can't hear it, but I know something's going on. But then three or four people would send me text messages saying the audio's fine. We don't hear that. Well, do you know the other thing, too? Like, I think when either Aaron's loading, like, the next show to come up after yours, like, as soon as you go off the air. That audio comes in over the live stream. So in other words, whatever show you're going to put on after you, once you plop down, you're done. Yeah. When Aaron's loading that into the into the into your system, it's coming across the live stream. Like you'll miss parts of what you're saying. All of a sudden, it'll go back to you talking. Oh yeah, that's weird. 
Yeah, like I, yeah, so I don't know, know if he knows about that. I may be the only one that said it, but you know, here's what's but, surprising. You know, a job that we heard already. Here's what's surprising. Um, people assume that this is a podcast. Well, I, I guess it kind of is, but it's not the typical podcast. The typical podcast is drop dead simple to do these days. There's 10 pieces of software that all work great. You don't have any audio issues. Everything's nice and easy. So why do we struggle so much? Because we're, we're not a podcast. And we're not a radio show because we're not broadcasting over the air, but we're a little bit of both. I mean, most the typical podcast, here's the typical podcast. It's one hour a week and it's a host and a guest and it's recorded, right? Almost every podcast on the planet uses that same basic format. It's an hour a week. It's a guest and a host and it's recorded. Well, we're 10 to 15 hours a week with multiple hosts and we we stream live and record so you can listen to it live or you can listen to it on the recording and we take live phone calls. Those two pieces, the live streaming and the live phone calls are what complicate this so much. There is no software on the market that does it all. None. We've tried the closest is the closest is blog talk radio and it has real issues. We used it for a couple of years, so I'm very familiar with it, but it's got issues. So we were shocked. I looked all over. There's nothing on the market that you can do this with one piece of software. You have to hack together a bunch of stuff like we did. Yeah. So we're writing that one piece of software and it may become our next business. There you go. So I with Roland Toad, right? Kevin was so his his uh voice was so muffled, muffled. I'm calling it. I've been listening to the satellite. I've been calling it the shows, talking to you. I I got an ear for, for sound. I'm, I have no knowledge of it. I can hear it. He had the microphone revert the opposite way. He was right. talking into the back of the microphone. So, so all of a sudden, one day he comes up, it's loud and clear. I'm like this is so. Well, no. And, and of course, you're going to break his balls about it. Kevin's a pretty intelligent guy. But here's what happens. You've all seen round microphones, right? Most microphones are round. Yep. And they have the grill kind of that goes all the way around the microphone. So it looks like you could talk in any direction. It's (laughs) round. What? Why would that make a difference? But. There are very specific patterns of how those microphones receive the sound. And I won't go into the names because they're all confusing, but some microphones could accept sound from all 360 degrees. But a microphone that looks exactly like that will only accept sound from about 15 degrees, a very specific pattern. You have to put your face right in front of that microphone and speak into it or it's awful. But if you're not familiar with microphones and you don't know what that pattern is, you can't see it. You can't look at the microphone and know what it is. So, yeah, it sounds That's like a harmonica microphone. System. You know, it's designed to pick up the harmonica in a certain way. Correct. So you look at the mic and you think, well, there's no indication of how I'm what side I'm supposed to speak into on this thing. Yeah. 
All right, so off of that now. now so yesterday, you know, I was talking about doing the raised bed. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to start it now. I'm just going to go buy some tomato plants and stuff. I'll put them in little pots, and I'll get everything set up for next year. My God, like you weren't kidding the prices of everything. Little burpee plants were like, they're like almost six bucks a piece now. Uh, isn't it insane? Well, think about it. I have right now, I'd have to count again, but I am somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 plants right now. You got a gold mine, but you got I, I, I know, and, and it's so you easy. Oh, my God, you, you buy a seed tray for 20 bucks, buy a packet of seeds for for three or four bucks and you've got 72 plants. Yeah. Crazy. But yeah, right. they have, I don't know if anyone else yeah. is going to let you wrap your day up. You're right. They have gotten outrageously expensive. Hey, hey, something else though. You mentioned, you know, instead of building the race beds, I also talked about the hay bales. That's one way of doing it. But just growing in containers is not a bad way to start. And I'll tell you what, I, and I have some of them. I like them a lot. I buy fabric containers. Okay. I have all the way up to right. like. Uh, right. I, you garlic in them, don't you? I, I'll bet one of my. You have pictures of something with garlic. Uh, no, I always plant garlic straight into the ground. I don't do garlic in containers. Um, you could. But I, I don't because I do so much garlic. I mean, I do typically, I do 150 garlic plants. That's a lot of garlic. So it takes up a lot of space. But um, I, I think one of my fabric containers is actually, it's got to be 30 gallons. I mean, it's big. It's a really big. Once there's dirt in it, you're not going to move it around. But it's not that hard to just dump it out right. and fill it again if I have to. But I have everything from little you know, one gallon fabric containers all the way up to about 30 gallons. And the nice thing about them, they're really light. And when you're not using them, you just take the dirt out of them. They store really easy too. Oh, okay. Cool. I didn't have to look into them. Cause I got, I put them up on my patio by my pool and stuff. I get a lot of sun, obviously in South Carolina, but I just, like I said, I, I, I don't want to just half-ass the, the, the beds. I want to put the good cedar in there and, you you know, know, if it, and then start making the soil myself. I, I just saw a post about this um, this morning. Um, Fred was doing it. So here is a way to get into the whole gardening and fermenting thing. Really, really simple. Let me explain how you could do this. Cherry tomatoes grow really well in containers. I could get like a five-gallon, maybe even a 10-gallon fabric container um, put a cherry tomato plant in it, and I could produce a ton of cherry tomatoes. And then fermenting cherry tomatoes with the basil and the garlic is drop dead simple, and the taste oh, is amazing. Yeah, yep. the taste is amazing. So <laughs> plant one plant, one cherry tomato plant, and then do fermented cherry tomatoes. Why not? Yep. I did. I already got picked one up. So there you go. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas this time. Danny, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. How you doing today? Doing wonderful. What's on your mind? Yeah, I got a quick question about some tires there. Um, on my trailer. I have the uh, Bridgestone Low Pro uh, 225, uh, the R123. 
the R one two three Bridgestone trainer tires. Okay. Um, and and the trainers com- is, has completely you know the same tires and all that around. Um, but I I have to change out one of the tires, so uh, I I you know of course I'm going to have to do two. I don't want to just change out one. I'm going to make a, a change out a pair. But what I was wondering was is on my tractor I have some uh, brand new. Uh, Yokohama Low Pro uh, 22 pies. I believe they're the TY617. Okay. I believe those are the ones right there. Uh, uh, Chris was recommending them to me. Uh, or or uh, not Chris, but uh, what? Chad. Okay. Chad, I, I got them with Chad over there and KC. So I believe that's what they're, they're, they're using over there. That, but what I was wondering was, is can I put those Yokohama steer tires on that one axle back there <laughs> and have, would it be too high for the Bridgestones next to it on the other axle? <laughs> no, but I wouldn't do it. That's that's not the reason, but I wouldn't do it for other reasons. And, and here's why. Steer tires are our most expensive tires and trailer tires are our cheapest tires. There's no way I'm going to take a good, expensive steer tire and put it back on a trailer. Okay. Just, um, just buy trailer tires. Because, look, if, if you put that steer tire back there, then you got to go buy new steer tires. Well, i got to do that anyway because I have one that's just a little bit of out around. So, eight ounces. Okay, so now here's a different scenario. Now we we need one tire back there, maybe two, like you said, and we have a set of steer tires that are going bad anyway. Yes, go buy new steer tires and put those back there then. Okay. Yeah, that, they're brand new. I just bought the tires. They're not that old, but that, that vibrating drives me crazy. You know what I mean? Have you figured out what the problem is? Um, I, I think I was talking with, uh, with Kevin, I believe Kevin or Mike, well, I forget which one it was. It was on the email and, and he was saying that pretty much is that tire is one of the tires, uh, cause it, uh, the, everything's checked out tight and oh, okay. all the whole front end is okay. good and the rim. So you're not going to buy that. Good. You're not going to buy that tire again. No, I want to buy something different because okay. I've had issues with that. I've always bought the Yokohamas, and for some reason, on the different trucks they've had them on, it, it seems like they've always had them like out, out around or something. I don't know. I've always had bad looks with them there. Um, did you know what would be a good one to, to change that out with? The, the steer tire, a different steer tire to try out? Well, you know, I am very, very partial to Michelin's. So for me, it would always be a Michelin, especially on the steer axle. I, I just very, very seldom ever use any tire other than a Michelin. Okay. But that's so, personal uh, preference. And I, 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 I would, you're in a line hull operation, correct? Uh, uh, it's Reefer, uh, you know, a lot of uh, U.S. highways up to, you know, 54, so it's running a lot of small towns, stop and go, and a little bit of highway, but it's, you know, half and half probably. 
was, well, we got to, we need to clarify that some. Um, you say half and half, but then you said not much line hauler highway. Is it half and half? Are you on the highway 50% of your miles? Well, I would say more like like on the U.S. highway, more than the interstate. So maybe the interstate might be like 100 miles here or 75 miles here. Then it goes back into U.S. highway, uh, like going through Kansas and all that stuff up that way. So then here, so here you know, I'd have to go check. I'd have to go check model numbers because Michelin just changed a lot of stuff. But what when you go to your tire dealer, you want Michelin's top-of-the-line regional steer tire. Whatever that model is right now, I'd have to go look Michelin, it up. Okay. But it, they will understand that. You don't want a line hull tire. You want a regional tire. Okay, regional, okay. And that may be part of why you're having such a problem with this current steer tire because it's a line haul tire, not a regional tire. Okay. Line haul tires are designed yeah, maybe, uh, to, maybe. to perform best when they're going straight down an interstate. That's when they perform their best. Every time you turn with those tires, they're not quite designed for turning as much stopping and starting and turning and backing into docks and all those things have a big impact on the tire and they design regional tires to do that but if you the typical over the road operation spends 95 percent of its time on the interstate that's why we use line hole tires but you're saying you don't you don't spend that much time on the on the interstates at all you need a regional tire okay yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe I'll call up the, uh, the, the CR England guy and see what he has to offer and that, uh, Michelin right there, the, the regional. Correct. You want a regional tire. And Michelin is very good at distinguishing their tires. It's really easy. But like I said, um, there have been a lot of changes in, uh, some of the models on, on, um, Michelin and I haven't kept up with the regional tires lately. I need to go do that. Let's go to Canada this time. Mike, welcome to the program. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? You got a 2020 Peterbilt with a X15 Performance Series 565 2050 torque, and I'm burning oil. I'm going, I was in at Cummins last week. I'm, uh, just I'm sorry, broke say, my, it broke up a little bit in my headset. Give me the specs again on the truck. It's a 2020 Peterbilt 389 with a 565 2050 torque X15 Cummins. Got it. Okay. Now go and you're and, uh, you're using how many miles are on it? Uh 802,000 kilometers. Okay. And so how Yeah, how much oil is it consuming? I'm I was in at Cummins there last Thursday. And my average for the last 50,000 K was a liter of oil every 1700 kilometers and it's going up. So can, can you do the math real quick? So I don't have to, how many gallons per mile? uh, (laughs) Um, So how many in the 23? Yeah. How, how, how many miles am I going to be able to go before I pick up a gallon in? Oh, 
about 3,000. Okay. Are you dumping in oil before it gets a gallon low? Like, are you putting in a quart or a half gallon at a time? No, I'm running it till it's down. A full Actually, gallon. Actually, the last shift I was on the road. Yep. Okay. You I are. I ran it too low. I, I, I have a feeling you weren't quite there where, well, this isn't any kind of a warranty issue, right? Well, it is. They oh, it is. They won't okay. touch it. They're not quite so burning enough. That's what I was going to say. Just about Wait. off of warranty. I got like 1,500 miles left on warranty. I was going to say yeah. my head was still on the eight 800,000, but that's kilometers. So I, I was about to say you are almost at the point where they would do an, an in-frame under warranty, but you're not quite there yet. They have criteria. They, and and typically, they don't even do this by the mile. They will calculate how many, how much oil you burned in comparison to how much fuel you burn, which really is a more accurate way of doing it. And then they have a formula. If you get to a certain point, then they'll do it under warranty. If you're not at that point, they won't. And you're right there. The problem is this is broken. It's broken. It should not burn that much oil. It should not burn anywhere near that much oil. And yet their warranty doesn't cover this. This is why I don't like warranties. Because of this bullshit (laughs) when they do stuff like this. A gallon every 3,000 miles is insane. That's a broken engine. Fix it. Well, exactly. Well, they wanted me to, because I'm running 540 full synthetic GAMS oil. And they wanted me to change to their Valvoline 10W30 because we're starting to warm up now in the year. It's going to burn more. And I, well, that's what I told them. I said, that's a lighter oil than what I'm running. Oh, wow, you've got that 540 in there, and that's a winter oil. And No, it's not. And I said, well, we're... I, we're look, I, look it, I could kind of under... Look, here's the thing. If that engine were operating correctly, we wouldn't use 540 in the wintertime. He's got that backwards. <laughs> the lighter weight oils work better in the wintertime, not heavier weight oils. What the hell's he thinking? That just dawned on me. He's totally backwards. He's not right at all on that. But that engine was designed for 30-weight oil all the time. But he's correct. It will burn more. Or you're correct. It will burn more. We, If we wanted to slow down the consumption, we would be putting in heavier oil and then adding Lucas Stabilizer to it. Yeah. But I guess the only good well, thing, well next, you're, you're probably too close to the warranty. I was just going to say, when you switch to the 30 weight, you'll probably reach the consumption where they will do it under warranty, except you're going to run out of time. Yeah, I, you know, another couple of days I'll be out of warranty. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks so, that they won't work with you on this because engines should not do this these days. Uh, None of these trucks burn oil anymore. Well, that's just it. Like this is, I, I've had 10 ISXs all the way back to the old CM570s, like the Signature 600 to now, and none of them burnt oil. Just and they shouldn't. Burnt oil. And none of these new modern diesels burn oil. We don't rebuild these things anymore, which is another problem. When you do go to rebuild it, it's more expensive and people don't know how to do them because we don't do many.
Yeah. People used to be really, really good at well, rebuilding next- mechanical engines because we did it every 300,000 miles. Yeah, because you're pumping fuel into the oil every yeah. all the time, wearing out. And, and uh, so my next question for you is, they're trying to push me on the, the Encore warranty for 11 not, not no, but hell no. That. Not no, but hell no. I paid you for a warranty and you won't even honor it. Now you want me to pay you 11000 more so that the next time I come in with a new problem, you can turn that one down? Oh, hell no. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, I was on the fence that, well, do I chance it and that, buy the warranty? That, maybe that, it. That'd be like going to a restaurant, paying for the meal, and have then having the restaurant say, sorry, we ran out of food. Come back next week and pay us twice as much, and we'll give you a meal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Either that or... They quoted me 25 to do the six-pack without changing the head or nothing. That's not a bad price, honestly. I know it sounds like an expensive in-frame without a head, but that's kind of the going rates these days. Yeah. So that was... There is another option. What's that? Trade this thing in on something else. Yeah, but the price it used right now is just incredibly. Oh, I get it. I know. We are. I'm not sure if anybody's been paying attention. We're heading into a really, really difficult time. We just are. All of these things, all of everything is going to get so much more difficult. There's just not going to be enough money around to keep most people in business. The inflation's getting worse. It is going to be a real challenge to stay in business. You're going to have to do everything you can to to try to make a lot of good decisions. And and it's tough because we, we just came through a decade where you didn't have to make good decisions and you were still fine. Yeah. No, that's right. So that's where I was looking forward and like, well, do I rebuild this thing? What do I do? I, was I, I wouldn't. I, I My, my it, dealer... So let's start with this. Let's start with this. For a new one. Yeah, we, we, you have to get it into your head that there's no good solution here. That's the first thing. There's no solution right. where we're going to look at it and go, man, that was awesome. I dodged a bullet. No, um, the bullet's already hit. Um, we're wounded. And all we can do now is try not to die. So I, right. my first attempt would be to get rid of this thing and get something else. And I don't say that very often. If you listen to the show, you know I almost always try to convince yeah. people to keep the truck they have. Going out and getting a different truck is risky. Yeah. But keeping this truck is risky. They either want 11000 for a warranty that sucks, or they want 25000 just to get back to where you were, you know, before, where you should be. We're not gaining anything. Those aren't good decisions. So I, I would be hoping that I could find some bargains out there. I, Look, I might even be willing to go back to an older pre-emission truck for a while because there are some bargains out there in those. And it doesn't mean you have to keep it forever, but maybe we go buy a good, cheap pre-emission truck and keep it for six months till this market figures itself out. 
Well, I'm not completely in a corner because I got another truck sitting at home. Oh, perfect. Twenty twelve feet. Perfect. Early pack car in it. Sell this thing. You know, the problem is I don't want to sell it to an individual. I wouldn't sell it to an individual because I I would want to disclose to them. Um, But, you know, dealers, they sell us this kind of crap all the time. They can take it in on trade if they can't figure it out. It's their problem. Well, it is a really pretty looking truck, so it'd look great on the auction. Exactly. Yeah. So um, (laughs) you just I, I, I don't think I would keep dumping money into this truck. Yeah, it's too bad because it's a beautiful truck. Well, here's the other thing. Has anybody identified why it happened? They went through it. They did their inspection. They first found the air compressor was pushing a little bit of oil, so they changed that. They checked the turbo. The turbo is great. Um, They basically got to the point where it's not leaking it. It's not going anywhere else. It's got to be burning it. So we don't have any, a blow-by issue. Any history of, well, wait a minute. We're, you have to have a blow. You mean you don't have a blow-by issue in the other direction? There has to be blow-by if we're They if we're told me out. I've only got inches of blow-by. Yeah, I, I think they're measuring crankcase pressure. So the term yeah. blow-by blow means something is getting past the rings. Either the compression gases are moving from the top to the bottom, or the oil is moving from the bottom to the top. Either one is what we call blow-by, but they they tend to look at crankcase pressure and cause it call it blow-by. But um, if they have determined right. it has to be burning oil, then there has to be blow-by. The oil has to get past the rings to be burnt. Oh. Yeah. But is there any history of oil analysis on this truck? I've only had this truck for, bought it last August. And I did a sample when I bought it and I've done two samples since. Um, There's been some major engine work done in since then, like the front gear train had a bad idler gear in it. And they did that and they put an oil pump in it and new rod main bearings. Uh, uh, hold, hold, hold on a second. Hold on, Mike. This, this is all I need to hear. This truck was built on a Thursday afternoon before a four-day weekend. Yeah. It is. This is one of those problem trucks. I would get rid of this thing. Or at least a problem engine. It, right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Already. Thank you very much, Kevin. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Sorry this happens at a time like now. You know, it's never good to deal with crap like this, but it's always much more difficult when you're looking at rates dropping and not as much freight and you're worried about money. It's a tough place to be. Um, We had a caller who didn't want to go live, but wanted me to talk about Tucker Carlson Carlton on Fox and Don Lemon on CNN. But I'm not sure what he wants me to talk about. So I would. I mean, I have opinions about both of them, but I'm not exactly sure what he was looking for. There's a... Tucker's always kind of been on Don Lemon because he's a nut job. Um, 
but I don't know specifically what that question was for, so I don't know how to answer it. Uh, let's go to Texas. Dwight, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, real quickly, uh, what, what size of pots are you getting in those plants that's costing 5 and $6? Uh, it depends on the are type of plant. And, well, it, it depends on the plant and the size. You're correct. Um, but where I used to see yeah. the, the small grower's cup, is that a four inch? I think it might be three. The small grower's cups yeah, were, yeah. were like two ninety nine a year or two ago. And now they're okay. four ninety nine and okay. five ninety nine for some of those. Wow. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is, yeah, uh, prices, prices and sizes all over, but my father-in-law's got an organic nursery here in Texas. And uh, for just, uh, you might as well call it $2 for four inch. And they're certified organic. So they're they're two dollars still. So we've got got some good prices in Texas. Uh, I, I can't imagine paying four and five dollars. That would that would be people want to almost complain about the two dollars. So well, now I'm gonna tell them, hey, go somewhere and pay four and five. Let's think about this for a second. You pay four or five dollars for a cabbage plant. It only produces one head of cabbage. Why would I do that? Right. Right. I, right. I, I could buy the head of cabbage no. cheaper. It, it just doesn't make sense. But that's and, and I understand why, because when I grow this stuff from seed, I have a lot of cost in this. I have a lot of time, not as much as when I'm buying plants, obviously. That's the point. But I couldn't sell my plants any cheaper than they're selling them. There's a lot of time and cost involved in every one of those plants. Right. Yeah, we, especially we've got a for, good for me, where I am, I can't start early enough, even in a greenhouse. We just don't get enough sunshine this time of year. So I have to use grow lights and heaters. Right. My cabbage is expensive, right. too, because I'm using grow lights and heaters to get my plants started early enough. But that's that's the it, like I said, it's still way cheaper than buying them from a nursery. And those prices have just gotten insane. The difference in pricing is, look, I, I can grow a cabbage plant that I could sell for four or five bucks in a month. They grow pretty quick. Um, if I wanted to sell a strawberry plant, that price is going to be triple. Takes me forever to get a good, healthy strawberry plant going. Right. Yeah, well, it uh, y'all are beautiful over there, uh, but we definitely have lots of advantages here. And uh, so, but I, when you were saying those prices, I because I, you know, but it's it's just really, uh, really a good growing season here, and our and our prices are a lot higher, but they're they're reasonable, and these are certified organic. So good. Good. Hey, um, you know, I was mentioning that I didn't know why that caller wanted me to talk, talk about Tucker Carlton and Don Lemon. Um, they're both now gone. Tucker is no longer at Fox. What a shock that is. Now, Don Lemon not being Don Lemon not being at CNN is not a shock at all. He's been heading downhill for about a year longer. He, they've moved him out of his better spots into worse spots. They've given him. He, he's been a train wreck for a while now. So the fact that he's gone is not surprising at all. 
Tucker Carlson is is a really highly rated show for his. Are you there? Hello. Oh, hold on a second. I just it's the Bluetooth. Try that again. Okay. There you go. All righty. Well, wow. That, you know, um, through the pandemic. So, by the way, let me, let me. Go ahead. Yeah, let, let me finish that story that Tucker has left because of the lawsuit that uh, Fox just lost. So during the 2020 elections, Fox ran a lot of stories about the Dominion voting system. It's a software um, voting system. And Fox ran a ton of stories on how they were cheating. That was Fox's claim. And Dominion took them to court and sued them. And Dominion won. It was like 700 and some $787 million, I think. It was a big, big settlement. And Tucker was one of the primary hosts, and they're claiming that Fox got rid of him because of that lawsuit. Uh, Well, they've been wanting to, they've been talking about, I've been hearing news they were going to get rid of him four or five months ago. So they're just looking for a reason. It'll be interesting to see where he lands. He's not going away. He's not going to any other news network. I don't believe. I don't think anybody's big enough for him. I mean, he could go to somebody like OAN or Epoch or uh, there are several out there, some conservative news. I I just don't think any of those are big enough for him. He's got a huge audience. Uh, He'll do something like you did. He'll he'll be he'll have his own deal. Yeah. I would think he'll that's what will happen. I, I would think he's yeah. going to go out on his own, kind of like Glenn Beck. Right, right. He'll go to Blaze. He'll go to one of any of those, um, you know, and, and yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, one of the things I was going to say quickly is, yeah, we, we've actually been, I say we, me and my wife, we've been picked off at Fox for, pretty good while back through the pandemic because of things they've done and really and truly if we watch any fox it's usually because of tucker uh we went to uh newsmax and uh, you know what happened to newsmax i know i I hate to interrupt you but i I just want to say this because i'm reading it i'm just getting this information i didn't know what happened um it turns out that it's a lot and this happens to everybody in media you never get to say goodbye, you know, unless you're retiring or, you know, oh. moving to you. You don't get to say goodbye. So I guess he signed off on Friday saying, I'll see you on Monday and his show's over. He won't be back on ever. You know, the other thing, I can't think of anybody wow. who works harder than he does. He does his nightly news show. He does Tucker Carlson originals. He does Tucker Carlson today. He does the, he's got the, the originals or the long form documentaries. I don't even know how he gets it all done. He must have a hell of a team, but he still has to do an awful lot of work. I, I don't know of many journalists that work as hard as he does. Yeah. Well, well, it's one more. One more voice that we won't hear, uh, not easily, not easily. You know, we know where to go find this stuff. Most people don't. A lot of people don't. 
Uh, you know, well, kind of like people that they want to know about trucking, they're going to find you. If, if they don't, then they'll keep listening to the other crap. So here's here's the thing that, that we learned through all of this. We have loyal listeners who will follow and find you no matter what. You have a whole bunch of what you might consider your base just doesn't care all that much. It, it, they got into a habit. They listened to you on a certain channel because you're on there. You're there the same time every night and it became a habit. They show up one day and you're not there. They don't even give it a second thought. We know it. We lost a yeah. ton of listeners that way. And then some of them will come back a year later. I just had one yesterday or, or Friday. Um, and they'll say, I didn't know you were still on the air all this time. Uh, you must not have gone to look. Because if you just would have taken five minutes to look, you would have found me. We're not that hard to find. But that you just have to realize, even sometimes people who listen to the show every single day, if it changes, they, they just move on. Devin, I had a, uh, a thought here a while back, and I have goofy thoughts, so I hadn't really called you specifically. But since you brought that up, what do you think about you know how sometimes when we place an order, you put uh, some stickers or something in our order. What do you think about either a business card or a sticker that as we're going around, and I tell people, I would say people, look, don't just put this anywhere. But a lot of places, they have a, a board. You know, they have a board that they let people put business cards on. Would would you, th what do you think about if you made a card and how to find you and we, you sent it to us loyal people, then yeah. we would just start placing these cards around. What do you I, think about that? It's a good idea. And, and we probably will do something like that. We'll probably even create some sort of a referral program where you could be rewarded for doing that because we would appreciate it. Um, so it's in the works. We, we want to make sure we're past all the issues we're having now with this echo. We're still trying to work out and, and, you know, drop out. So we want to get the show down nice and tight. Then we'll go out and, and we've got to start doing it pretty soon. Um, hopefully the programmers can get me something to start testing here soon. And then we really will go out market heavy and try to grow the tribe. And, and an idea like that, I think would be awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, the other day I was, uh, you don't see it as much as you used to because the older truckers are going away, but man, used to, you'd go in and there, you'd, you'd look in a corner or at the coffee shop and you got these old timers and they just love to talk to each other. Well, there was, there were six of them standing the out front talking, weather was beautiful. And if I would have had some cards, I'd have said, Hey, do you guys listen to Kevin? And Hand out just and hand out a card. I, I would do that. Hey, you know, because you can see the owner operators. You can tell, you know, they. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know who they are and uh, hand out a card. Hey, do you listen to Kevin? Yeah. No, we, we like that. You know? And we are going to. Yeah, we are going to ask the tribe to help us. So uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, well, I would. Um, my real question is. um so I got two new grandkids this year and, uh, they're all under, both under a year old and don't have a lot of money, but 
I would like to start some kind of savings account for them. But, you know, because of my age, uh, I wouldn't want it. I, I, you know, I, my understanding is you can take their social security number and say the mom, dad, or somebody and start them a, a savings account. Uh, what would be the best? Is it a, um, really not a savings account, but like a Roth or, uh, well, hold, hold on. They probably could they, have. Yeah. So, so okay. there aren't that many things. So let's cover a couple. You can't do any kind of retirement savings unless they have earned income. So if they don't have any earned income, then you can't do retirement accounts. You could, the closest thing you can do, and I'm in today's world, I'm not a big fan of it. You could do an educational account, a college account that's tax advantaged. I just have a huge problem with our college system. The cost, the, the curriculum. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know that 18 years from now or 15 years or whenever they would be going to college. I don't like the college system today. It could be a whole lot worse then. So we want to be careful of tying up money in educational funds like 529s. So I do not. Yeah. Okay, good. So what we need to do is what's called a custodial account. So it will be their money, but they can't access it. Here's the other thing we don't want. And and this is just my opinion, but I'm a strong believer in this. There either should never come a time where they just have total free access to that money. Or if there is, you want to make it happen as when they're older. And I don't mean 18. I mean, like maybe 30. I think it is a horrible idea to give somebody between the ages of like 16 and 30 a whole bunch of money that they didn't earn. I think it's a horrible idea. I don't think it does any good. I think it does a lot of bad stuff to just hand people money that they didn't earn. If we're going to do that, I I would want to push it till they, they get all their wild oats out and maybe hopefully they settle down and become a responsible human being. There's no guarantee that anybody's going to do that before 30, but we have a better chance. We know people make bad decisions in their teens. They make bad decisions in their 20s. Some people make bad decisions their whole life. Most other people start to get a little more responsible around 30 or so. So I, I, I am a strong believer in you don't hand over a whole bunch of money to young people. Right. Well, I just wanted uh, something that would would grow, and and yes, way down the line, way down. Right. I I just don't know what it is. So here's what you do. I could give you a bunch of ideas. It's going to be really confusing, and then you're going to go try somewhere else, and they're going to give you different terms. You need to find a fee-based certified financial planner, CFP. That's the designation I used to carry. And fee-based means you're going to pay them for their time while they answer your questions and help you get this set up. You're going to call some financial planners and they're going to go, oh, I can't believe they're going to charge you $1,000 to do that. We do all of our planning free. No, they don't. 
They're going to sell you a bunch of commissioned products that they make a ton of money on, and we don't want them selling us something just because it has a high commission for them. We want them to use stuff that benefits us. So you have to pay for it. But people don't want to. They go, oh, look, this guy says he'll do it for free. Nobody does anything for free. So it it should cost you maybe 500 bucks to pay a planner to say, I want to leave money for my kids. Just help me with all these issues. And they can sit down and walk you through all that stuff. And then you pick which one sounds the best. The uh, kids, can you, and I don't even know which stock I would buy. Um, I've got some, I have some stock. Would there be a way I could transfer that to them or put their social security number on it? Uh, I have some Walmart and some Apple and yes, but don't. some mining stock. Yes, but don't. I'm not a big fan of individuals holding okay. individual stocks. I know. It's just way too risky. I know. And I, I should have already, I should have already sold it. I, I've, I've made good money on it, but it, I don't see long term it, you know, either one but, of them but, could just. You know, some people would probably say, oh my God, Walmart has to be stable and safe. And no, it doesn't. Walmart is closing stores all over the country. Right. Yep. No business is ever totally protected. Every business on the planet has the risk of doing poorly or going out of business. And it's just too risky to hold individual stocks. Yeah, I know. I should have told it back when everything was up and I didn't. Well, that's fine. But but don't, don't give it to them. Don't 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 put that on them, you know, and that's why we want a certified financial planner. You know, they'll help you decide where the money should be invested. And, you know, right now, short term, I would say right now you could park it in savings account. Hell, I'm looking at an Apple. Um, I've got an Apple credit card and they're now attaching a savings account to that. That's paying four and a half percent interest. That's pretty darn good right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Considering a year ago, it might have been a half a percent. Yeah, or, or a quarter percent. A quarter percent. You're right. It was horrible. And right now, with everything else being so volatile, sitting in a savings account of four and a half percent is not a bad idea. That's where a bunch of money, my money's going. Well, all righty. Well, I um. I may just do that, and I, I, hey, that's something. Yeah, four and a half percent. That's yeah. better than sticking it under the mattress. A- absolutely, and so. and it's not tied up. If I put my money in there today and tomorrow, I find a year CD that's paying five and a half percent. I'll take some money out of there and go buy it. I can. It's not tied up for any length of time. So right now, that's a it's a pretty good deal. Let's go to New Jersey. Danny, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Kevin. How you doing? Doing good. What can I help you with today? I, I, well, I tell you, you just, you know, the, the news that you just uh, said about Tucker. I, I just want to elaborate on uh, one thing. I know that, you know, I, I go into my past and all that kind of stuff. 
And I do that for a specific reason. And I don't know if you can identify with this. When I used to listen to, you know, the talk shows and everything, and you'd get the opinions, you know, from some of the callers. And I, I would say to myself, where do you, where do you get that from? You know, it, it would, I would be intrigued and say, yeah, that, that don't sound right. Right. But everything that I try, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yeah. Everything that I try to say, it comes from personal experience of especially having the uh, privilege of being in this industry, because I believe that, I mean, just like you have said on, on occasions, we have the opportunity to be the smartest individuals. Uh, I, I won't say smart. I'll say informed individuals over any other profession. Yes. And, you know, because what you see, my news source is uh, NTD, you know, which is sponsored by the Epic Times, because the way they present the news, I mean, they used to be on, on Verizon Fios, and, and they took them off probably about three months ago. So I get them on a local channel. They used to have, you know, the business news was my favorite. Because they gave you a business um, information that you didn't hear anyplace else. I mean, you didn't hear it, you know, on on Fox. With I, I like Charles Payne, and I'm just going to say this now because I told my wife on on the other day. I said Fox is not news. It is. It, it it's more or less like a a stimulation to well, get you excited, well, and at uh, the end of it. Let, let's okay. cl- let's clarify what that really means. So, okay, you can't say Fox isn't news. Fox is a huge organization, and Fox definitely has just plain reporters, where they just report the news, and there are shows where they just report the news. But then they also have well, that was con- Tucker. I didn't know Tucker was not a news show. Tucker is Tucker's a combination of the two. Tucker is what we would call news and okay. commentary. That's the difference. Tucker is going to give you his opinion about the news. His opinion. See, journalists are not supposed to put their opinion into things. A true journalist Absolutely. just reports the facts as we know them. I would do I do a lot of reporting about the news? I do, right? Almost every day. Yes. But I would never I would never ever refer to myself as a journalist. I didn't go out and create that news. I didn't go find it. I read it. Somebody else reported on the facts. I'm giving you my commentary on those facts. That's just my opinion. The facts are one thing. That's a journalist. That reporters should report the facts and the facts only. Commentators then comment on those and give their opinion and what they think it all means. And there are shows that are both. They'll report the news and then they'll comment on it. And that's pretty much what Tucker was. He was a commentator, not a journalist. And there's nothing well, wrong it, with that. I have commentators. hearing the news is fine. Give me the facts. Then I can make up my mind about it. But I I listen to commentators because they think of things I didn't think of. 
Right. But it, I see, it, he was limited compared to some of the others. Like, uh, as far as my estimation, and what, uh, you know, growing up when I was a kid, you know, you, you were at the dinner table at five o'clock and you were cleaned up, you know, doing the dishes or whatever, and you were on the couch watching the six o'clock news. And they provided the story. If they had video footage, you got to see the video footage. And as I got older, there was more video footage than I I liked. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. We kind of cut to the chase on this issue. Um, How old are you? Okay. Uh, 66. Okay. I want you to think of a, I want you to think of a TV anchor person you knew when you were a kid. Just give me a name, any name. Uh, Bill Butel, Roger Grimsby. Okay. I don't know Uh, any of those. They must be local. Local New York. Yeah. And, And then you had the nightly news was, uh, uh, Walter Cronkite. That's actually the name that came into my head when I asked you the question. It's funny you should bring that one up. Let me ask you a question. Do you well, have? I, any, I, I, uh, hold on, I, I, uh, hold on. I, I, I want to cut to the chase here. Do you have any idea? Okay. Now I'm assuming you didn't research him. You just watched him on the news every night, like I did as a kid. Would you have sure. any idea whether he was a Democrat or a Republican? Not at all. That's how it's supposed to be with a journalist. Not a commentator, Thank though. You. I should absolutely Thank know from a commentator what their politics are. That's what they're telling me every day. But from a reporter, I don't. Here's another example. As a kid, did you ever know what your teacher's politics were? Absolutely not. Hell no. And we shouldn't know. But we do today. Exactly. Kevin, is what what we're discussing right now is my reason to go back to critical thinking is to know what you know, why you know it, and to stand that you know what you know until something else comes along that will show you a little different. Ah, you say, ah, I was not quite right about that. And that's why, you know, I go back to Hegel because Hegel's dialectics, and I got the year wrong. I kind of tried to bring it up to... My my thirty one year old son on uh, Friday, and it he, he was in the seventeen hundreds. But dialectics is it's a triangle, and I cannot pronounce the word. One of the words is synthesis, and it, see, there's so much of our system right now that came out of Europe the, uh, by design, by absolute design, and what dialectics is is. Um, Creating a problem, no image. Yeah, creating a problem, identifying the problem, and then controlling the problem. And just to be, see, I, I, I didn't want to really go real deep, especially since that you said you're taking two weeks off. I mean, I, I was hoping that you were going to say that, you know, a couple weeks ago, because it's needed. What, what you provide for this audience, and I don't think that you would have any way of identifying exactly how many listeners that you actually have on the app. But uh, I I don't want to go down a thing, but it's very hard to be a caller. That's one thing that I will say. But 
Karl Marx and Frederick Engels sat at his feet. They created the Communist Manifesto. And then, you know, it just, I, I mentioned other names, but I, I don't want to go into the weeds. But what's happening right now in Brandy? Is, is it appropriate for me to mention another caller? That's what I'm. Uh, it's lo- don't make any personal attacks on anybody. You can attack somebody's argument. Well, no, no, absolutely no. Hey, just hold on a second. Let me finish for everybody else. Okay. The rules on my show, okay. if you call me and say, oh, my God, that last caller was a dick, but you're going to get hung up on. No. We, we don't have to attack people. Yeah. Now, if you call me and say, right. I completely disagree with his take on this issue, I think he's completely wrong, that's fine. We can attack arguments all we want. Just don't attack individuals. That just never right. works good for anybody. So no. if you want to call and, and debate well, or that, that just just attack the argument, and we'll be fine. Yeah, but that, that, see, my thing, I, 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 even with my my kids, you know, when they're they're adult right now, then, you know, I wasn't here enough to really I, I'm all about encouraging, you know, because when I was growing up, the, the main reason why I really zeroed in on why because that was a standard question to my father. And, you know, he was, in in my opinion, the last of the alpha true male. You know what I mean? And his reply would be, because I said so. (laughs) And you know what I mean? Now, that wasn't, maybe it wasn't appropriate, but it it was a different time back then. So, you know, I, I realized that I... I try to encourage, you know, in all that, in other words, to stimulate a thought process that is totally, I believe, it's it's law, it's almost lost. Not quite. You know, but I, it's almost lost because when you when you I'm hear sorry. the term like toxic masculinity, you know, which seems to be a big issue right now. They, oh. they, a lot of people seem to think men are toxic and you know, testosterone is a bad thing. And that happens for a reason. It doesn't mean it's right. Let let me give you you how some of this happens. If as a father, all I ever told my children was do this and do it because I said so. That's not a good way to raise a child. That that could be considered toxic masculinity. It's, It's stupid. It's ignorant. We want to raise children right. who can think on their own. You got. You have to give them something to think exactly. about. Give them reasons. Teach them how to reason through an argument. If all you ever do is tell people what to do, they will become helpless. We don't want that. That doesn't exactly. mean that if I'm a strong alpha male, I'm toxic. But sure, there are males who have toxic behaviors, no doubt. Right. But it, it, just to, to connect the next thought to that, what that in, it encouraged me to, I, well, encouraged me to do is not only say why, but then when I thought about it on my own, I'd say it, how. Here's a, how did that happen? Here's a better way. When, when we're dealing with children okay. or employees or people we're trying to teach or trying to mentor, one big picture idea to keep in mind especially if you are used to telling people what to do and then telling them, well, because I told you so, or change one thing. 
start asking more questions than you instead of making more statements. So even if I say do this and they say why, I could either say because I said so, that's the worst answer. I could tell them all the reasons why. That's a much better answer. It's not the best, though. What would be even better than that? Right. But there's hold, so many hold, hold on. I, don't I want hold, information. Hold on. That was a question. What okay. would be better than telling them why? Uh, what would be better than telling them why? Showing them why. That's a little better. There's still something even better than that. Okay. What if I ask them to give me three reasons that they think might be why? That I I agree with that totally. Yeah, I I just want to reference my two things happen here. If I do this, if I do this, two things are going to happen. They're both positive. Instead of me saying here's why, or even showing them, both those are okay. Better than not showing them or telling them. But if I say, why don't you think about this for a while and come back to me with three reasons why that might we might be doing it this way? One, they have to think. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get them to think, not give them all the answers, trying to get them to think. Here's the other thing that could happen. If they come up with the right answer, at least one, now I can praise them. You you praise the behavior you want more of. You punish the behavior you want less of. So we, if we want to raise good, right. competent children that will give back to the planet and the population – we should ask them more questions and make them think more, not always give them the answer. Let them think about this. And when they get, we should, we should always set up our interactions so that we can catch them doing something right. How easy is it to catch your kids doing something wrong? It's all day, right? They don't know what to do. They make mistakes. And we can get into this pattern where we constantly tell them what they're doing wrong. That's not good. And then they keep doing things wrong. And then you say, well, I have to tell them because they keep doing it. No, try something else. Try setting up the scenario so that you can catch them doing things right and then praise them when they do. That's exactly what I've always tried to do. Perfect. You know, because at the dinner table, which is a, a broken entity within you could hardly even describe a family. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the, where I'm at. I'm in, you know, the tri-state area. In New no, th- that's pretty common. The, the what, family. What, what you're going to say is the same yeah, everywhere. And, and, sad. and that is very, very sad and scary to me because that was the first thing that was able to be broken up. And I used to always say, I used to say, I've always, my father used to say in a very derogatory way, ah, three things that stuck, that always made me stronger, though. He would say, you're nothing but a simpleton. And then another question, uh, I, I mean, another statement that he would make is, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve too much and you're going to get crushed. It's not right. But then he also said, you could do anything in this world. If you set your mind to it, you could become president. He said, but there will be many things that you will choose not to do. 
Now that sounds a little deep, but that it, it really, I, I mean, I, it really influenced me in a way to where I could take a situation and maybe not understand it at the time, but as time went on through real personal experience, like you had two callers today, the caller from California. I mean, I, I, I was, it, that I thought process and I'm, I'm going to assume that he's in my age, you know, bracket. It, it, he had a thought process that doesn't exist today because of the family table. I, I'm going to go back to the family table. Once that was broken up, and mom was not able to stay home because, and I always said very simply, if the government was really on the up and up, they would make it possible by not raising the taxes to a degree to where mom really basically had to go out to work. Especially how so, so you know, hold, my father's hold, first house was. Hold on, hold on a second. I'm going to push back a little on this. And, and here's why. You okay. and I grew up at about in about the same era. You're a little older than I am. Um, not quite a full generation, though. Six years or so. Um, no. How big was your house growing up? How many square feet? Oh, I, it very, I, I, I couldn't answer. Roughly. <laughs> roughly. Mine was 1,200 square My feet. Goodness. We had seven kids. Nine people living in a house with 1,200 square feet, one bathroom which was common. That's very right? common. Right? My, my so, wife is one of 12. So today, the average house in the suburb is about 2,000 square feet with multiple bathrooms, bonus rooms. It's yeah. a, it, so, of course, it's way more expensive. Nobody thinks about that. How many cars did you own? One. One. <laughs> One. And and you didn't get a new one every three years with giant payments, did you? My father never had if, a new one. If, if you were a family of four, how many phones did you have? Even if there you had multiple phone phones, you had wall. one account, one phone on the wall. Now a family of four has at least four phones. Everybody has a cell phone, which has an account. Before everybody shared the same phone, yeah. it was one cost. Now you've quadrupled the cost. Four people now are paying for a phone. Should I go on? How many big screen TVs are in most people's houses today? I would so, say at least. So we how I many how many subscription accounts did you have growing up? That you had to pay for all these online. It's a couple bucks a month here, a couple bucks a month there. But people are signed up to a gazillion subscriptions. People probably have a security system that they're paying money for. We never had. We didn't. We didn't even have a house key when I grew up. There was no house key in our family. The door was never locked. Nobody knew where the key might be. Absolutely. We went to California for three uh, weeks, I think. We didn't lock the house when we left. It was the only vacation I took exactly. when I was a kid. I was four years old. So think about that. I could go on and on and on and on about all the stuff we pay for today that we didn't pay for before. More cars, more TVs, bigger houses, more services. Well, we can't blame the fact that women had to go back to work just on inflation. 
It's no. the lifestyle people choose. Well, I, I just want to make this one point. See, I, I, I'm like I told you, I'm waiting to get my hip done. So I got, I, I, like, I haven't been in the truck since, like I said, February. And it's really taken an effect on me. I've been in that truck for 48 years, you know, doing all types of things. You know, the pedi- like, I'm the one that called about Armelini, you know, on, on oh, yeah. uh, Friday. Yeah. Did you ever load with them? Did you, did you ever load any of their product? Um, not myself, but I was down there. I've, I went through all their operation, yeah. I mean, I, I come out of there right before Easter with 25 stops on the trailer. Start out in Washington, D.C. and wound up up in um, New England. But this is where I want to dovetail into what I originally called about. See, what I learned very early on in order to to complete your day in a way that you have to have technique. And what I found that works all the time, and it, it doesn't cost a nickel, it, it's courteous, you know, that, that's a lost word, you know, courtesy, even if, you know, you're going down a highway and somebody passes you and you, you, you know, when I flash my lights, I always turn my lights off because that's the last thing. I, I mean, I always would get, you know, upset. You know, I'm looking in the mirror to get over and bright lights are in my eyes. Let me, let me, let, let me, let me stop there and also address this. Boy, I get a lot of pushback on too. This is not a popular opinion. So I grew up around trucks, third generation. My grandfather was an owner operator when there was no interstates. Uh, my dad drove without the interstate system. My dad also drove trucks that had 190 horsepower and you were pulling 72,000 pounds at the time. The weight hadn't changed that much. 72, four, whatever that goofy weight we had for a while. Um, and we had 190 horsepower, no, no turbos. Um, I, I remember my dad telling me that the truck went up some of the hills in Pennsylvania so slow that he would step out on the running board and urinate holding the steering wheel through the window. Because the truck was going so slow. I've had that experience. You could do that. So now let's think about how this whole idea of flashing lights came about. It came about on two lanes with slow trucks so that when you were passing another truck, it was absolutely critical that you could cut back in at the very second that there was a little bit of room, right? On the right. interstate, don't flash me because for one thing, you're flashing me way before I want to come back in. We have two lanes. Right. I'm not cutting over as soon as I can. That's ignorant. I'm going to create enough space to be safe before I move over. I don't need you to flash your lights. So I don't flash them. I never have. I thought it was ignorant. Yeah, you know, I, I never thought of it that way, but you're you're right. You're absolutely right. See, but my first truck was a, uh, a international Lodestar. I forget the actual year, but I had a 250 Cummins with the 13 speed, and you know I used to pull containers. But you see, where? Well, I mean, I don't. I, I get lost very very easily. <laughs> but it's just the, you know, I love. See, the first truck I learned on was a B-Model Mac, single axle with a duplex. 
And I, you know, I had come out of a straight job and I worked for a container, a guy who actually, he quit APA. I don't know if you're familiar with the old days of APA. It, it was a company here in the New York's tri-state area, but it, it was a very strong union company that treated their help better than anybody else within this area. They would shut down for a week, a year, and everybody, warehouse, you know, dockmen, and drivers, he would take them all to Puerto Rico. I mean, and, and I had, you know, in-laws that uh, used to work there. But what I'm getting at, they used to say, in, but this was the sentence. If you see APA, if you're getting ready to cross the street and you see APA coming, you know, you got to really watch because most likely he isn't going to slow down because that's how many stops they had to do out the day, right. you know, throughout the day. I pedaled most of my career is still right on up until this point here. You know, like we were talking, you opened up the show about, you know, the, the, the uh, statistics on the accidents during the pandemic. I, I never shut down, you know, because I deliver food and um, it would be not, I mean, it would be normal to see cars passing you going down the New Jersey Turnpike doing they had to be well, hey, hey, miles. I, ju I just remembered something. This has nothing to do with anything, but I've been wanting to mention this on the air. Um, I listen to a police scanner, usually only on Friday and Saturday nights, um, just to see, wow. what's, yeah, just cool. see what's going on in the area. Um, it's pretty interesting, really. So I, I was listening to the scanner last weekend. Um, I just keep forgetting to bring this up. And the call came in and it was from the, so the, the departments that I'm following are just local sheriff departments around me, county sheriff, that kind of stuff. Uh, a couple small towns that are close to me and we're 50 minutes or so from Portland. So the call came in that the highway patrol was reporting five cars heading east on 84 out of Portland coming our way. They would get to me first, then they would get to the county seat, which is Hood River. That's where most of the cops are going to be. Here was the report. Five cars traveling in excess of 120 miles an hour. The highway patrolman lost them. He couldn't catch up to them, so he was radioing ahead. Wow. This went on for a couple hours because they did make it to Hood River. They all split up and took different exits, so they were searching for them, but... One report came in, a Hood River officer that was sitting on the interstate waiting for him clocked one of the cars at 162 miles an hour. I, I believe it. A hundred and sixty-two on the interstate through the gorge. It's, this isn't a straight interstate. If you've been through the gorge, it's not all that straight. Yeah, and you know, Kevin, what you just reported there, it's not even really comprehensible. It's not. It's a, you know I, what I mean? So here's the thing. I went and did the um, the NASCAR experience. Actually, they, what was I, I spoke at a trucking event and I ended up getting it. It was one of the prizes and they gave it to me. Nobody else wanted it. That, so when I first get there to speak, they said, hey, we have all these great door prizes. Put your name in there. And I'm like, I'm the speaker. I'm not going to put my name in there. That's the stuff for the guys, the drivers. I, I said, I'm not putting my name in there. So at the end, they actually came up to me and they said, hey, we know you didn't put your name in, but nobody took this NASCAR driving experience. And they gave it to me. Like, oh, hell yes, I'll take it. I can't believe a bunch of drivers. And they turned that down. Now, um, 
the one time I did it, the one. How long ago I, was that? Uh, let's see. Would have been around 2005. I, I, I kind of. Uh, I, OK. Yeah, I was shocked. So I, I've done it. I've done it another time as well. But this particular time. I wanted to go out to Daytona and do it because Daytona is such an awesome track. And I lived in Orlando, but they had shut down Daytona that summer for repairs. So, and I didn't want to wait. Um, I just wanted to go do it. So instead I went over to Disney. Disney has a NASCAR and it's really short. It's one of the really short tracks on that track. I was able to win my, my round and my top speed. I got, and here's how it works. You are in the car by yourself. There's nobody else in the car with you, but you have a car in front of you with a professional driver. And they take you out at the beginning and they have the two cars parked right next to each other. And I'm not kidding. There is about 12 inches between the front bumper and the back bumper, the way they have them parked. And here's the rule. If you can maintain that 12 inch distance, the the professional driver will keep going faster and faster. He'll go as fast as those cars will go. And none of these things are modified. They're full-blown NASCAR vehicles. He'll go as fast as those cars will go if you can maintain that distance. If you get closer, you're probably going to bump them. If you get any closer, then they slow down. If you get too far back, then they slow down. So if you want to go as fast as possible, you have to maintain that distance. So I'm really, really competitive. So while everybody else was talking and goofing around, I went over to those cars and I sat in the back car and I got myself perfectly seated the way I was going to seat. And then I picked a line. I picked a line at the bottom of the windshield matched right where the the back bumper where I could see that line. So I, I created all these okay. visuals that would tell me I was within that 12 inches. And I, I, I spent like 45 minutes on this. That's how competitive I am. So I got out there and I won. I, uh, 157 miles an hour was my top speed on that track. You know, at Daytona, I could have so blown that away. But that was so fast. I, that is incredible what happens at that speed. You know, that, that story makes me so jealous because I always wanted to do that. It is so fun. No, I, hey, I hey never, here's... I, I never took... At, okay. at the at the end, they do a survey and they ask for what could we do to improve this. I think I gave them the best answer ever. And as far as I know, they've never implemented it. So here's what I said you should do. So what you do is you buy a package up front, like three laps or six laps or, or whatever. The more laps, the more you have to pay. So then that's your package. You go out, you run your laps, you're done. Once I got in that car... As soon as I got in it, I thought, man, I wish I would have just paid for more because I got this one free. I should have just paid for more laps. You know, when I get out, maybe I'll do it. When I get out, there's no openings. Here's what they should do. Seriously, they should have at least one car with a credit card machine on the dash. Let me just swipe my credit card and keep going. Absolutely. I identify totally. Totally. They would have made a fortune off me that day. I would have maxed out my credit card. I, I see, and this is, and I just want to make this one point. See, I, I am a product of talk radio, but when I found you, what you were able to do was to organize my thoughts. I chase fuel mileage for, I identify with you for many, many years back in the 80s. 
you know, with a, with a cab over Freightliner with a 400 coming 13 speed, uh, 355s in the rear or 433s. I'm yeah. sorry. I yeah. can buy that off right. the line because, right. because Peterbilt was on strike and I, I had a Peterbilt that I ordered at a, at a Pocono Peterbilt that I, you know, I just couldn't hey, wait hey, Danny, any longer. Finally, I just realized yeah. we just went past the three hour mark. So save that story for next time. Okay. I'm going to grab one more call and then I'm going to get out of here. Um, You know, I said I might end my shows early because I'm going to take a pseudo vacation. And here we are past 11 already. The shows have been getting really long. Not a bad thing, but uh, Charlie, you get the final word today. Hello, Kevin. We're waiting. This guy keeps thinking, making me think of all kinds of stuff. Anyway, he keeps um, bringing up all kinds of good topics. And the next thing I know, I just keep going. Yeah, I know. Fox News. Uh, Dan Bongino didn't they didn't renew his contract for some reason. He's gone. And it's the other thing is about uh, old time trucks and the rates we used to get in the 70s. Yes. 77. I bought a diamond reel. It was a 69 diamond reel. It was 21. 250 Cummins with the turbo hauling containers to New Jersey from Harrisburg. 15 speed. No fancy, no electronics, no cell phone, no nothing. All you needed was bobtail insurance and a plate. That was it. The rates were strong. Thicker. Right, right. But I, I, but, but I wonder if, but I wonder if many people understand why. Well, I don't think they do. Well, wait a minute. Don't say it like that. I, really? That's what I mean when people don't understand it. Well, there was regulation. Uh, hell, yes, there was regulation. The, the government controlled the rates. Well, that's what I meant. There was regulation. That's heavy, what uh, right. Heavy financial regulation. I don't want to go back to that. I don't care how much it paid trucks because here's the problem. If you didn't have the authority, you weren't making that kind of money. Or if you couldn't lease to somebody who did. And there wasn't a lot of opportunity because they had to control the supply. They had to control how many trucks were on the road. They had to control how many trucks were allowed to pull freight in a certain lane. That was the government, bureaucrats. Do you want Joe Biden determining if you can pull freight or not? No, but I think real good then. Well, then I guess you are okay with that. See, I'm not. I'm not. I don't care how good it was. I don't want to go back to a system like that. That is not a free market. It was the opposite of a free market. And that's why the rates were so good. So the people who liked it were the ones who were getting that rate. But if I wanted to get into business and there just was no opportunity, they wouldn't issue authority. Well, that sucks. There's no other industry that I know of that I can't get into business they just won't let you. That w- that was what happened under trucking regulation. It was financial regulation that we're talking about. We're not talking about safety regulations. Every industry has all that. But we were one of the few industries. There are only a handful. Utilities, airlines, trucking companies. Here was the thought why this happened. Because I think if people understand why, I don't think it was necessary but they did it. And here was the reasoning. Let, let's start with utilities first. When we invented the telephone, 
And now that telephone requires a wire to be strung to every single house in the country, right? That's outrageously expensive. If you would have allowed a free market and you allowed 10 companies to come in and start building out phone systems, it would have been a mess. And most of them, all of them probably would have failed. Airlines, same way. How do you start an airline and fly to all these different locations? It's outrageously expensive. Trucking. How do you get trucking companies to move freight everywhere in the country? It's too expensive. It's too risky. So in order to make it less risky, the government created financial regulations for these industries only. They were not free markets. They were controlled by the government until those markets became mature. And then they could exist with competition. And clearly, trucking can exist with competition. We have tens of thousands of competitors. But we even allowed more competition in airlines. We allowed more competition in utilities. And guess what happened? There is a huge upside to all of this. We all got those services a lot cheaper now because there was competition. It's a free market. That's the difference. I never want to go back to a financially regulated market ever. After regulation came in, that company and their yard is under the brewery now. They've expanded the brewery at uh, at Newark or whatever that is at one and nine. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's actually under the under the brewery now. But anyway, and we we could get real cheap fuel. You had to change your fuel filter once a week. <laughs> it's really cheap fuel. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. It, so it's it's. Yeah, it's interesting you brought this up right now because I've been having this argument with people on Twitter. There's a whole bunch of owner operators out there that actually think we would be better off to go back to that. And they're fighting this whole broker transparency and they want to see the rates. And I I just don't. I, I mentioned earlier, I am very competitive. Competition is good for all of us. And regulated industries kill competition. You pick up an empty, take it to Mechanicsburg, and take a loaded one back to the to Sealand. So it was round trip. It wasn't like you're running around empty. You're getting paid. But 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 hold on. Say and here's something a lot of people didn't realize about regulation. It is possible. Wasn't a slam dunk. Didn't happen this way every time. But it was very possible and common. I could have authority to move freight in one direction on a road from Cleveland to Austin, Texas, but I absolutely could not move freight from Austin, Texas back to Cleveland. It was illegal. That was why I would trip lease to a company that did have authority in that lane. Right. And I did that too. Yeah. As a company driver, I used to. Yeah, it was a a horrible system. A handful of people got rich, and the rest of us had to pay for it. You sit in a truck stop, watch the load board, and hope in Pennsylvania they called the same agent. Correct. Yeah, it was a horrible system. The the only people that want to go back to it was the people that had authority and made a ton of money. Right. I wonder how a company such as, well, I'm leased to Landstar. I wonder how a company like that would work. No possible, I guess. No, it, it. see, 
the only way it would be possible now is we would have to put a whole bunch of people out of business. The government would have to pick and choose who gets to stay and move freight. How do you do that? How do you go to somebody and say, sorry, you're just out of business? But that's the only way you can control the price is to control the demand. That's how they did it. They wouldn't issue new authority. So if they don't issue new authority, you can't put any more trucks on the road. That means that's why the price stayed so high. The minute they said, look, you don't have to, you still have to fill out the paperwork, but everybody will get approved. Everybody gets authority. The minute they did that, prices tanked. That's how it works. It's just like the trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. Correct. But I'm okay with this version of it. That is a free market and it is the best system ever designed. Right. Well, there's actually a lot of drivers that are uh, leased to companies that are cashing in, too, and saying, I can't spend these rates. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm retired and I have my retirement camper I'm driving around with. That's why Bruce jokes that I'm the guy that can't retire. So right. it works. It works great. And I mean, I'm still making money. The truck's making money. Well, see, here, here's an ex- here's an example of. Here's an example of things people don't like about a free market, but I'm okay with it. Somebody like you, you're retired. You can go out and pull really cheap freight right now. And and you'd be fine. And if you want to, why shouldn't you? I don't have a problem with that. Stay home for a month, I do. Exactly. On the other hand, a startup can cut all kinds of costs, right? They can buy an old, old, cheap truck. They can skip certain things. They don't have to have all the, they, they could go out and operate really, really cheap. And people hate that. So what? Right. Figure out how to compete against them. That's what makes us all better. Right. And at well, some anyway, point, if uh, that startup yeah. that skipped all this stuff and cut all the corners, if they actually succeed, they'll end up stopping all that. They almost have to. Well, they won't survive. That's what right. Right. So if they if they manage to succeed and survive, then they'll stop doing all that shortcutting and they'll eventually become a company that gets pissed off at all the new companies coming in, shortcutting and dropping the rate. That's how a free market works, though. And we've proven that a free market is really the best financial system to to bring more people out of poverty. The problem is we keep moving farther and farther away from a free market. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. We went long today. Um, We're here all week, except Friday. I don't think I'm going to do a show this Friday. Uh, I'll give you some more details on the schedule tomorrow, probably once I get it all figured out. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.